Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 4, titled Crippled, Bastards, and Broken Things, Tyrion's favorite stuff. Uh, what do you think of this episode? It's the name of his autobiography. <laughs> uh, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's it, it feels like a nuts and bolts, run of the mill, Season 1 episode of Game of Thrones. It's It's openly encouraging you to... Uh, follow Ned on this mystery that he's trying to solve. It's asking you to choose, along with Ned, the shifting allegiances and alliances of King King's Landing, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting rewatch proposition. Okay, yeah, uh, not a super exciting episode. Uh, it's it, it didn't do as much for me as some of you know the early ones in the season or even the later ones in this season. But, you know, it was serviceable. I was trying to, because I was kind of feeling that, like, 15 minutes into it and kind of, like, you know, waiting to be... But I didn't remember. I was like, well, you know, the first time through not knowing a lot of things we know, this was probably a lot more engaging. Yeah, you're you're trying to keep up. You're trying to yeah. figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's like, you know, rereading an Encyclopedia Brown or a Hardy's Boy after you already unsolved the mystery. It's like, you know, there's still going to be this... the the. The beats that are enjoyable, but the actual mystery is not as much. So, right, uh, yeah, I think that's that's fair. Okay, uh, anything else you want to say about it before we get into the recap? I have a major correction from last week. Apparently, I misspoke and called Rinley Robert's youngest brother. Uh, Rinley is the guy in the in the small uh, council, the only one that Ned is noticeably chummy with. Uh, right. But that's actually his his. Uh, uh, I said, I'm sorry, as his youngest son, not brother. So I'm, oh, I would need okay. to issue a correction to my correction to my correction. I said that he was his youngest son. It's his youngest brother. Right. Uh, okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Let's get into the recap. <laughs> uh, we start off with a bird flying into Winterfell while Bran's practicing his archery, and it distracts him, so he follows it, and he discovers that it has three eyes, and we're like, what the fuck is happening? Oh, and then he wakes up. We're like, oh, it's all a dream. Uh, then Theon comes in and tells him that he's been requested, and an enormous man named Hodor comes in and carries him out. Uh, this, is a, this is a big dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Barely fits through that door. He's got to hunker down. Yep. We saw him, like, that was one of the things we joked about in the first episode, that uh, Ned had turned out his stable boy to greet uh, right. King Robert. And here here he is in all his Hodor glory. Yeah. I remember talking when we were going through this for the first time, not we, but uh, when I was watching this for the first time, uh, a lot of commentary about the three-eyed raven mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, the third eye has got a lot of connotation in, like, especially Eastern religion and mysticism as as showing someone that he's enlightened. Right. Like, to see, perceive spiritual things beyond just the physical uh, and be able to perceive the metaphysical. So I think, you know, obviously we're supposed to wonder about this dream and there and again is a mystery. Why is it leading him into the crypts of Winterfell? Yeah. What is what is what's going on here with this brand? Yeah. Hot on the heels of him awakening after one of the wolves are killed. It's like you're starting to think you're starting to piece to piece together this there's there's something X mini about this guy. Okay. Uncanny. Like Professor X, is he gonna shave his head and kill yeah. bald and Start uh, feeling people's Love's minds. already got those useless legs, so... <laughs> right. Shave is, is the hair. There's nothing more useless on your body than hair, so... <laughs> that logic will be the next to go. All right. Uh, we go over to Rob in the Great Hall, I guess, there at Winterfell. Uh, he's not allowing Tyrion to stay, even though last time uh, he was welcomed. 
But Bran's hauled in, and Tyrion gives him a plan for a saddle, promises that he'll one day ride again, and this causes Rob to offer Tyrion a place to stay, but he turns it down, because I, I don't need your charity. Also, lots of whores out there that, that need boning, apparently. Yeah. Uh, one little cool like um, lore mythology detail is that if you, it, it's, it's easy to miss because he's sitting seated behind a table, but... Uh, Rob greets Tyrion with naked steel bared. He's that literally has a sword laid he across. Does? Yep, oh, laid geez. across his table where his lap would be, which is a northern custom when you're receiving someone. You're 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 giving the courtesy of your hall, but you're letting them know that this you know you you don't like them, and okay. you, it's, it's an open threat essentially. And a, right. a lot of the kings, uh, the statues of of the kings of old that are buried in the crypts of Winterfell. I've seen that yeah. have their like literal swords still like laying across their lap, or lap as a threat for any intruder that would come down there. So I thought that okay, was cool. I missed that completely when I first watched through, and it was definitely detail mentioned in the books. And you know, I don't think he was behind a table in the books, but the, I, I like the fact he had his sword out there drawn and laid in front of him, just so he just so Tyrion knows what's up. Yeah, Tyrion uh, probably can't see that from his vantage point. Right, He's probably lost on him. But <laughs> didn't think about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the other thing that's, you know, a bit of a threat is his direwolf sitting out right in front of him, which sure. also reminds me of the stuff in the crypts. They've yep. always got the wolf by their side. Yep. Uh, and, man, direwolf's just lounging. It's more like a tired wolf. <laughs> just chilling there. Oh, let's see. You know, this was back in the days where they get away with just using real wolves. Yeah. They're yeah, not, when they not, don't have to be n- huge. Not quite uh, CGI worthy yet, so you <laughs> see a lot more right. of them. Uh, yeah, and I... I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or questioned this on the podcast or if it was later on, but Rob is apparently Lord of, of Winterfell for the moment, interim Lord of Winterfell. Well, he, and he said why his mother's away, but honestly, I don't know that he wouldn't be Lord of Winterfell right. with his mother there. That's Yeah, little... I, I can't remember if we were talking about like why the hell he wouldn't leave Rob behind to be Lord of Winterfell while he's gone, Ned. Right. Right. Uh, or, or if I was talking about it later off the podcast, but yeah, mm-hmm. apparently he is. I don't you know. It's tricky because Ned hasn't stopped being Lord of Winterfell just because he's a hand. So right. like, traditionally, he would leave a Castilian, like what's called a Castilian, like a trusted person who's essentially going to be the steward of the castle and mm-hmm. and rule in your stead. If you got a, a healthy older son, why not? Why not do that? I, I don't. I, I again the technicalities, um, but you know whatever. Uh, he's getting his training. For probably, yeah, when he takes I, over, yeah, Rob can probably <laughs> call himself whatever he wants while he's sitting on the Lord's chair. Sure. And, you know, if he wants to call himself Lord, he's a Lord. If he wants to call himself uh, his dad's best dude, then that's what he's called. <laughs> right. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that Tyrion's first question is, is, you know, Bran wakes up and he's like, "Oh, so it's true. You are awake. Uh, do you remember anything? Like, I want to know what you know." <laughs> Yeah, he's very concerned with that. Following through on the threat in the second season, second I episode, can't, I can't really tell if he's actually there to help hide his brother and sister's stuff. Yeah, you could read it a lot of different ways. And of course, right. you know this episode, I feel like puts its thumb on the scale towards his guilt by having you know Cat arrest him at the end. Um, well, yeah, I mean. I don't know if as an, as an audience member that tells me anything about his guilt or innocence. Mm. It tells me what Cat thinks, right? Which we already kind of knew, but right. it, it just seems like a natural way to go. Uh, there must be like 
I, I guess there is. There's one fucking road, and they everybody meets on this road, man. Yeah, I mean, everybody. It's not. It's, it's not yeah, I don't find that on ride town to town. You stay in every town you come across, and yeah, you just see all kinds of people there. Especially north of like you know the Neck or the yeah. Riverlands, it's this King's Road starts getting sparse pretty quick. So, yep. Um, I also like. I just like the kind of michelangelo renaissance man quality of Tyrion. that he re it's not just that he knows things but here he comes with a practical workable design to allow yeah a paraplegic to ride a horse which is pretty cool yeah he kept the flight machine for himself <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure it's like the flight machine yeah the vitruvian man all those uh right but uh and it's it's Tyrion and the Vitruvian man. It, so it's a Vitruvian dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, I, I thought that was pretty pretty cool. Okay. Uh on his way out, Tyrion asks Theon where Cat is and he refuses to tell him anything. Uh Tyrion insults his honor by pointing out that he's basically squiring for his former enemies and the people who killed a bunch of his family. And Theon doesn't like that much. Yeah, he does not. This is something we we talked about in previous episodes, the actual um, relationship between Theon and the Starks because you'd be forgiven to thinking he's just another son of theirs the way he pals around with everybody right um, but they lay know, it all out in they really scene. lay it out the fact that his his father went in and on the wrong side of a rebellion and uh, all the rest of his brothers are dead and this is the last male heir so he's mm-hmm. um, you know he's he's essentially uh, well you're not essentially he is a hostage guaranteeing Balon's good conduct because if Balon steps out of line they can just kill Theon and boom there's your house it's done right so um yeah and and the fact that it's clearly getting a little bit of Theon's goat the fact that uh Tyrion is uh, taking out some of his aggression on him by saying he's uh he's a lackey and he's uh he's your enemy squire and the loyalty to your captor- captors are so touching um yeah, yeah no he's good. he's throwing some good jabs there and then then they'll like you know just another classic Tyrion flipping him the bit uh-huh. hey your next next tumble on Roz is on me as long as he doesn't like wear her out or something I, I don't yeah. know he implies that he's going to fuck her so. yeah this is, he's not gonna have any time for for poor Theon but yeah. no that's that's another you know get, go get your shoe, go get your shine box kid moment right uh, so we go up to the wall Alistair Thorne brings a guy named Samuel Tarly into Castle Black Sam wants to take the black, so they put him to the test, and he fails pretty uh, spectacularly. Gets mercilessly beat until John steps in and protects him. Did you find the confu- the the transition from Winterfell to Castle Black semi confusing? Uh, no, but I could see why it might be. I the first time I watched landscape it, there. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know uh, Tyrion's riding off, and we're kind of going upwards, and we continue to go to upwards, and suddenly we're outside, and I'm like. I don't remember yeah. them showing the town outside of Winterfell, and I'm like, oh shit, this is Castle Black. Right. I feel like a lot of people just watching until you actually see John there are going to be like, what the hell is going on? Because yeah, it's just I the actually, fourth episode. I thought that establishing shot, compared to stuff that they do later, feels really cheap and shitty. Like, Dude, this is, I think this is the episode that shows the most threads bare around the edges, because okay. like I feel the same way about Ned and Littlefinger's walk. Like I'm pretty sure a lot of those vines were fucking plastic. Right. Like someone went out to Michael's or Hobby Lobby and's like, get every fake vine we can get. We need to make a garden that they're going to walk through. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I forgive a lot of that stuff because well, sure. it was early on. And also, and- this was, I mean, I, 
They didn't I know remember this was thinking be a hit. how amazing. Well, plus I remember thinking how amazing the show looked back in the day. It's just sure. they keep on, unlike other shows I could name, they keep on pumping money back into this thing right. and seeing how big they can get it, rather than like what's the cheapest we can do this and still have Rubes watching it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I say all this only in comparison to the heights they reach in later seasons. This is still like state of the art, better than anything you're going to see on television. Kind of sets and locations and. The fact yeah. that we, you know, they're actually walking through real sets that are built and like they built that uh, castle black from scratch in some stone quarry. Right. Uh, when they're walking through King's Landing, they're walking through real kind of medieval stone streets in Croatia or something. So huh. it's still cool. It's just you can definitely see the corners cut in this episode more than most. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so this Sam guy. I I didn't like him at first. I mean, you know, he says, Why can't you fight? Because I'm a coward. Well, um, not not a most sympathetic and a heroic yeah. character, yeah. But I think by the end of this episode, you you kind of come around on him, yeah. Yeah, and or at least I did. He's he's at least honest. Like yeah. he's not trying to be something he's not. Sure, and he's got the, a pretty tragic backstory. Sure, that he lays out it's, later. It's not, I wouldn't say tragic. It's just pathetic. Like you go up to the Night's Watch. But it, it's also tragic in the sense that you know because you're not a a great. I, I don't know why his father is basically saying you're not fit. To, well, uh, I can to tell you why. Carry on my legacy. <laughs> I, He's I mean, literally not okay, fit. So he can't swing a sword, but yeah. does that mean you can't be a ruler? It doesn't seem like it. Not to me, anyway. But, uh, we go argue that with uh, Lord Tarly and Horn Hornhill. Yeah, have see how that far that gets sl- you. Slice your lungs out while you're speaking <laughs> to him. Uh, okay, let's move on to let's say who are you? What is a podcaster? And <laughs> string him up. String him <laughs> up high. Uh, the Dothraki arrive at Vase Dothrak. Mm-hmm. Um, Viserys says something stupid about this being his army. And then Danny and Jorah are riding together, and she asks if an army of Dothraki could actually take the throne. He says, eh, they might, but they're afraid of water. Then they talk a little bit about what brought him to Essos. Afraid of water, the horses can't drink. <laughs> it's, it's an important <laughs> right. distinction. Uh, yeah, deep water. One, you're well, ra- you, one, you're rabid. Water. One, you're rabid. One, you just have a cultural, you know, <laughs> mistrust of anything your horses can't drink. That that seems reasonable. Yeah, sure. It's it might as well be poison, right? Yeah, I think that's what they call it, the poison sea. Oh, do they? I think they might have said that here. Uh, but yeah, he talks about what brought him to Essos and how I think he talked about this before to someone else, which is basically he found people uh, on his land and sold them into slavery. And Ned Stark wants his head now because he doesn't take kindly to that. Right. So he uh, basically got driven from his land and he's over here now and his wife is with another man. I know he mentioned that he was a slaver and that's why he was in trouble, but I don't think, I mean, I might have explained the backstory, but I think this is the first time in the, the show that we're actually getting it. The why, why would this yeah. man from an honorable house and it seems like he's honorable himself, why would he do something so low as to, you know, and that's the thing, like, I, I think that maybe they don't... uh they're not selling this correctly, but in Westerosi culture, slavery is like a major taboo. Which is, yeah, and especially is, with a guy like Ned Stark, right? Which stands in stark contrast, huh, stark contrast to what they do in Essos, where they have whole bays of slavers and right. whole slave cities and versus free cities. But so he in, knew in Westeros, here. it was an anathema. Yeah, yeah. I also think it's it's cute that Viserys thinks he still has an army. Caldrogo's marching the wrong way with my army. <laughs> He's like all the worst part, whiny parts of Luke Skywalker mixed with just the worst kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, 
He's terrible. Well, let's go to a Viserys scene. The slave girl who helped Danny please Drogo earlier is bathing with Viserys. They talk about his dragon blood and how the Iron Throne was created. And she talks about how much she'd like to see a dragon. And then she asks if he's seen one. He says, uh, they died a long time before he was born, but he's seen a bunch of dragon skulls. And he tells a story about them. And then things take a turn when she points out how sad the story is. Uh, There are... (laughs) This scene is interesting because you could be forgiven for thinking at the beginning of it that they're going to try and turn around Viserys' character. Yeah, gonna, They're going to make him have a softer more side. human, right, softer side, and then by the end of it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, here's a reminder of who this guy really is. Yeah. And there is ways you can do that. I mean, the understanding of his story that he had to flee his home when he was 12 or 13 with his, you know, baby, baby sister... And yeah. kind of fitting for themselves in a strange land where people are trying to take advantage of them. And he has this affinity for the 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 dragons, which are the animals. Of course he his, does. His sure. culture and his house. Right. Like, He'd look up to that. But, yeah. but no, I mean, he really resists <laughs> any kind of sympathetic read of his character because he's just like... You know, like, you know, people have hard lives. Not to, to become an asshole about it is a choice. Right. You know, because there's plenty of examples of people having hard lives and, and turn out to be compassionate and, and well-adjusted people. So, yeah. And, and, you know, this is also just straight-up classic Game of Thrones sex position, the likes of which we don't get a lot in nowadays, because there's not a lot of exposition at this stage. Yeah. I don't think... You know, some people are like, well, Game of Thrones outgrew it. I don't know that that's the case. It's just that uh, any time that they had a whole bunch of, like, lore and history to dump on, it's like, why not have naked people? Uh, it's, <laughs> why not? It's, it's HBO. And, I can get behind that. You know, it brings in the Bill Simmons of the world. Um, but no, I think that, like, you get a lot of stuff here about, like, the legend yeah. of the Iron For- Throne and how it was formed by yeah. the vanquished swords of all the lords and kings that were in, in Westeros before and how they used the fire of the biggest, baddest dragon of them all, Balerion the Dread, mm-hmm. to forge them into this throne that the king sat on and... You know, it's the greatest civilization the world's ever seen, and this really cool story about all the skulls aligned and the, you know... Of the, all the different dragons. Of, of King's yeah. Landing and how maybe Robert's crushed them or whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then, then he pulls us right out by making a power play on this girl. <laughs> right. And there's also... On his some... slave girl! Like, a power right. play, just I... like, come on, man! Yeah. It's <laughs> it's real he, bad He at gets the end. off on it. I guess so. Uh, there's also some info dump coming from Slave Girl there. Uh, she now I, this might be uh, Grundles and Snarks or whatever the hell mm-hmm. they're talking about north of the Wall. Uh, more rumor, but she talks about like a guy with dragon glass and a guy who changed faces as easily as he changed clothes. Uh, a pirate who wore his weight in gold with sails of colored silk. Like all interesting legends. Yeah, all bunch of uh, rumors. It, it seems like each culture has different types of rumors that go around sure like this this dragon culture would have like dragon glass and you know the the culture in the north has these giants and whatnot right uh it you it makes you wonder like how much is true like when old nan tells bran these stories how much of that is true yeah and Uh, it's also what's cool about the story is the answer changes based on like 
you know, again, if you go ask our ancestors uh, if dragons are real 600 years ago, you might get a very different an- uh, answer than same yeah. people displaced 600 years. So this Unless is... you ask Matthew McConaughey, he will tell you definitively, <laughs> yep, yep, I've seen him. Uh, but uh, and he'll whip off his shirt just right away uh, to, to press upon you that fact. But, I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that this is a world where fantastic things probably used to happen. And okay. yeah. but now they're spoken of as legend, and you think you know a couple hundred years from here, will they even everyone even believe that Aegon the Conqueror had dragons, or did he just outmaneuver people and right. the people got asses kicked, invented the fact he had these giant city spanning dragons that were unbeatable? Yeah, and we as an audience don't see any of it. Mm-mm. So what? Where do we come down right. on that? Right. I think that's an interesting question. Uh, so. There's a nun. What do you call these nuns? Septas. Septas. Is that what she is? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. There's some some septa takes Sansa to the throne room there in King's Landing, and they talk about her offspring, which uh, Sansa laments. If they were all girls, the throne would go to Joffrey's little brother, and everyone would hate her. Uh, the septa gives her a pop quiz about King's Landing, <laughs> and oh. the conversation turns toward Ned, and Sansa says basically she'll never forgive him. What's funny is the Septa looked enough like Cat that I think the first time I watched it, I assumed it was like her grandmother come to court to like you know keep an eye on. Oh, her. okay. And okay. she looks like an older version of Cat. I suppose so. Yeah. Um, but no, I think her name's Mordane. Mordane. Um, but hmm. yeah, they, she's the girl's uh, grammar and posture and and house knowledge coach, I guess. Yeah. Apparently. Teach her how to be a lady. Teach her how to be a lady, and and the seven seven point star. I really don't like Sansa. Uh, she's hard to like. She's hard <laughs> to like about. Yeah. You know, she's still, again, this all makes sense with her and her position and her age and, you know, what's all been right. thrust upon her. But, boy, it sure is hard to watch her struggle with the idea of forgiving her father of the yeah. sins against her. When it wasn't her father's fault. Right. I mean, you know, it was also, her own damn fault, and she's too blind to see that. But she's also got now. Now I'm I'm trying I'm trying to watch this from a sympathetic eye, and I'm mm-hmm. you know the she begins this with worries about what if I have all girls, right? And what if the prince isn't happy with me? And we see later on, you know, she's got some good reason because she tries to thaw the ice between her and Joffrey, and Joffrey's having none of it. And she's probably smart enough to know that a queen that can bear only female children and is not well loved by her king is is going to probably be a rough rough life. Yeah, no, I she's just worried about fulfilling I guess her duties as mm-hmm. she sees them uh as as the queen to be. Yeah. Uh that's a lot of pressure. Like I I'm, I'm not saying she's completely unsympathetic. Yeah. Uh and I I don't it's not like I don't understand why she's doing the things she's doing. It's just they're really annoying. Yeah. And other things, like, I think of, like, I can't remember who said this, but someone said that, like, losing the Super Bowl hurts worse than winning Than winning it feels good. And, sure. like, in sure. the Super Bowl of her okay. life, Sansa saw, like, in her wildest dreams that she would marry the prince and be king and she'd be queen one day. And yet in here, it's like, it almost feels like from her eyes that she's fumbled on the one yard line of that impossible dream. And how, right. like, I've heard, like, grown-ass men taking six, eight weeks of just, like, sitting in their house with the lights off to recover from getting their ass kicked in the Super Bowl. Because it's just so Jesus. painful to come that close and 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 still miss it. So, you know, if I, I just for a 13-year-old girl that, you know, maybe she can goth it up a bit. But 
And she's putting a lot of pressure it, on herself that yes, that isn't doesn't need to be there because like Joffrey isn't isn't uh, turned off by her because of anything she did. No, it's his own embarrassment. Right. Like if he could get over that, if she could somehow sure. get past that. Right. But uh, but it's having said but she all doesn't that, really understand that. Having said all that, it is really really tough to to yeah. be, be, feel empathy for her. Uh, we go over to Ned, where uh, a lot of financial pressure is being put on him by this guy who comes asking for men to to enforce the law. Uh, he says, you know, Littlefinger will will find us some money, and also you can have some of some of the other men. I where does he pull these other twenty men from? His personal guard. He his rode forth okay. from Winterfell with a bunch of his old own men at arms. Yeah, and he gives him fifty. He says, we're gonna we're gonna give you fifty, and then I'll give you twenty of mine. Uh, once King's Landing doesn't seem like the kind of place you'd want to reduce your guard at. Not with the tournament coming up either, because a lot of people are going to be coming through. Plus, they, uh, they, there's they, drunken horse races the, the in the three, streets. <laughs> the first three episodes have established the fact that like going to this particular city at this particular time and being a hand is dangerous. And Ned's mm-hmm. basically taking his bodyguard detail and giving it nobly in the defense of the city. But I think as viewers, we're supposed to be like, ooh. This is not. This is not good. How do you stop a, a horse race through the streets of King's Landing? I, I don't know. Probably involves the mountain. <laughs> Probably <laughs> he just body checks the horse there with his jousting stick. Yeah, they have. At they the have like the road. They have uh, you know the medieval equivalent of stop strips. It's just dudes yeah. with long pikes that they <laughs> they you know stopping to name the king. And if not, the horse impales itself, and then you go to the black cells. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, how do you stop tavern riots? Uh, brothel fires and stabbings. More men. More men, I guess. I mean, the, the bigger, meaner men with uh, swords. Yeah, it's funny watching watching Ned say, oh, yeah, you can have 50 men. Littlefinger will find some money for it. He's like, what? I will? <laughs> okay, But in sure. the same scene, he's also bragging about how this is lining his pockets because, well, he doesn't... We know we can draw this because we know he owns so many whorehouses. But when right. he's saying like all the whores are walking around bow legged and like it's all like the... the Super Bowl happening in a city, right? Right. It brings right. in a lot of money. Which that's interesting that they're essentially making this debate. Like you know that's something that I think in modern times we're starting to like. Wait a second. We give these billionaires about a billion dollars to build a stadium on the chance that we might get a Super Bowl, and can we see the balance sheet of whether this actually does pay for itself? And right. You see that what looks like a looming disaster of Rio coming, and like, is that really going to be good for you know Brazil? Like, uh, it's it's interesting that uh, the the Game of Thrones is essentially going whole. Like, well, not Game of Thrones. The small council is going whole hog on. Well, what about the soft economic benefits to this? T- Right, hound tourney, you know, or sure. not hand tourney, not hound tourney. Uh, and then, you know, to your point about Littlefinger uh, lining his own pockets, he's like, "Well, shit, now this is gonna have to come out of my right. my end of the profits here to hire these men, probably." Right, because these tournaments just... don't actually benefit the crown much. Right, they benefit me. <laughs> right, gonna have to borrow more money from Lord Tywin. Yeah. Uh, and then um, everyone's dismissed. Ned asks Pycelle about John Aaron's death. And he finds out that John was looking for a book the night he died, and he asks if he can read it. Yeah, lots of um, lots of intrigue too, because uh, he's you know Ned brings up the poison's a woman's weapon, and then uh, Ma- Maester Pycelle uh, 
doesn't hesitate to add, or a eunuch, you know, that uh, shifty eunuch. Right, yeah, so uh, Pycelle takes him to the book. It's a book about the lineage of the great houses. Right. Um, Ned's kind of asking for context clues and suggests that Aaron could have been poisoned, and that's when he's like, oh, yeah, it's women's, cravens, and eunuchs, which... That's a pretty big assumption, and it also lends a lot of cover to people who aren't those things. Sure. If everyone assumes that a real man wouldn't use Right. I've got the biggest poison. balls in the Seven Kingdoms. Everyone knows it. Ergo, I couldn't possibly have poisoned right. this lord. Yeah. Which, to me, like, <laughs> fucking open the door for Littlefinger. Littlefinger's devious, and if he knows the reputation of poison, sure. he might be willing to use poison. No, and it's it's it certainly points... Uh, it certainly points the finger of justice squarely at the least powerful segments of society. Right. Which is convenient. Which makes me think, look look at the places they're not pointing you. Right. Uh, but yeah, he uh, Ned takes that book and he leaves. Uh, I, Ned starts reading this thing, mm-hmm. and my eyes just roll. Like, how could, that is so fucking dry. Hey, man, I've read the Bible something like three begat, times. Something begat, something begat. That is every the single, worst. You get the numbers, and every single time, it's like, <laughs> seriously, I'm supposed to read this whole thing. What yeah. the hell? What the hell? But yeah. I mean, it's important stuff. You gotta have it for functional society. You gotta track right. all this stuff. Yeah, when you have royalty, you need to know who's part of that. Sure, sure. It's just, my God, how does anybody read that? Yeah. Um, and yeah, we get some some context about John Aaron. He kept saying the seed is strong, as like before he died. Uh, you know, and and they chalk it up to kind of the ravings of a a poisoned or mad man, uh, in the throes of death. Which who knows? You know, that's not not a bad point, Maester Pycelle has right. there. You know, the last words are often as of little consequence as one's first. It's true. Uh, so Ned runs into Arya bouncing on some steps, and she's quoting wisdoms from Sirio. Uh, she asks Ned about Bran. He says, uh, Bran can rule, and then she, even though he's, you know, got some, some leg problems. And then she asks if she can, and Ned says, well, someday you'll marry someone and you'll have kids who can rule. She's not a fan of no. that plan. No. <laughs> not at all. Uh, it's so funny because Ned is, by training her in arms, is bowing to the fact that she is this different type, but he's still trying to... Right. Is he hoping she'll, like, grow out of it? And, probably. And fulfill phase, her destiny? It's just a phase. As soon as she gets, you know, uh, soon, soon as she gets older, she's going to start right. getting boy crazy and... <laughs> right. You know, I'll, I'll have another daughter to marry off. I guess uh, so, also but really, do plans- you need to? You just, you're about to marry one to the <laughs> prince of king's fucking yeah, landing, the you've, you've seven es- kingdoms. You've essentially cashed the biggest chip you can as yeah. far as daughters go. Maybe you can afford to have one that's, you know, a renegade tomboy, yeah. J- Joan of Arc her, type. Yeah, let her get into some jousting. Put her in some steel. <laughs> right. Fuck, put her on her, give her a lance. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, you got have all you girls. Got, you've got three sons too. Like Ned, right. at some point, you're just kind of being greedy. Mm. Four, if you count the bastard. It's true. Yeah. Uh, but I, what do you think about Sirio? I mean, having her work on her balance seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Catching cats is the kind of thing I feel like you give a nine year old to do when you're sick of talking with them. What, or or you give Ralph Macchio to do in the eighties. Like, sure. <laughs> sure. Here, Ralph, ch- catch these chickens. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh yeah I don't I don't know does it help with with endurance and uh does it make you more nimble and quick and I just don't think cats are that hard to catch like maybe no. maybe uh, city cats are tormented by medieval boys all the time or a little bit more wary but uh, could be 
feel like you can just primate, pretty much go up and snatch a cat if you want to snatch a cat. <laughs> They're there for the taking. It's always worked for me. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and, you know, just get a saucer of milk. He'll catch those cats, no problem. Right. Uh, so John's hanging out on top of the wall, also doing a balancing act there on the biggest step of all. Uh, Sam comes up to be his watch partner. John points out how ill-suited Sam is for the job and asks what the hell he's doing here. Sam tells a story about how his father hates him and threatened to kill him unless he joined the Night's Watch. That's that's rough. I'm starting to feel for Sam here. You know, yeah. he might be a doofus. He might not be able to fight, but... You're fat. You're craven. I don't. I wish you weren't my son. I need you to give up right. your birthright and go to this place where... And not just, I need you to, but you're going to, or yeah. I'm going to kill you. And I got some feedback from people, like, criticizing Alistair Thorne, but, like, this isn't training, just having someone beat to death. On the, but I think that it's kind of like, he, he might see this as part of his duty, is to find un, unfit men on the Night's Watch and have them killed. Them out. So, yeah. because... You know what? They're going to be worse than useless in a winter situation. At best, they're going to be another mouth that's eating your food. At worst, they're going to be a liability. So right. I don't think he's really caring to instruct Sam. He sees him as a guy who won't get up off the ground after he's being beat with a stick. Is not someone that's going to ever work out for the Night's Watch. Yeah, I mean, this is like, I guess, throwing your kid into the deep end of the pool, right? Like they're going to sink or they're going to swim, and it's kind of important that you do that in this scenario because. Mm. The stuff that he's going to face up there is going to be far worse than any beating he's going to get in the training. Right. So. It is amazing, though, that Lord Tarly, you know, we don't know much about him, mm-hmm. but he, he, it, it paints him a certain type of picture that, like, any of Sam's other qualities that he might have, completely unsuitable for being a lord. It's just all what kind of martial skill do you have? Right. Yeah. And, and that certainly seems to be all that matters in the, the Night's Watch, too. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, even, like, the people who are the stewards and are supposed to do the cleaning and cooking and uh, haul the shit out and dump it over the wall are still going to have to fight, probably. Yeah, like the Marine like, Corps, like, everybody, to, everybody's a rifleman. Right. Like, even if prepared. your primary job is to be a... You're still, like, you know, you're supposed to the, the shoot and be, and be trained and qual. So I feel like yeah. that's the night's light. Yeah, because if the wildlings come, they're not going to give a shit that you're a cook or... No. A, you know, a cooper, you got to have an axe and a shield and know how to use it. And there aren't enough people up there for them Fuck to have no. dedicated right. cooks and, and cleaners. and Can't specialize. Yeah. Not enough people. Right. Uh, also, I, I couldn't help but notice Sam doesn't see all that well. He says as much. Uh, I just, man, that must really suck living in an age without glasses. I'm telling you. that vision is bad. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I... I Never could have been a mighty warrior because my vision yeah. went bad when I was about nine. And with that right. corrective lenses, like imagine being on a medieval battlefield without your glasses. You'd not be being fucked. able to tell who was your enemy, who was you'd your friend. Yeah. Arrow, like you couldn't, you, yeah, you'd be so fucked. Right. That's probably why we have more people with glasses nowadays because no one's running around killing them for not being able to see. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Uh, our eyes are devolving. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not they're devolving. They're worse. We're just. Yeah, I mean, they're still evolving, no longer, but they're evolving toward. It's no being longer being worse. select. It's no longer part of the selection for fitness bias. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Littlefinger telling Ned that he knows he's uh, he's reading that book about genealogy. He tells Ned that John Aaron's squire was knighted immediately after Aaron's death, which he seems to think is suspicious. Uh, he then points out all the spies in the garden, one belonging to Varys, one belonging to the queen, and one belonging to him. And he tells Ned, uh, 
he he sends him to talk or he tells him to send someone to talk to this guy sir hugh who was the squire for john aaron now he also tells him about an armorer who aaron talked with before his death do you uh, let me see if you can put yourself back in your season one shoes oh boy uh do you did you buy what Littlefinger's saying here, like about all, the, or do you think that he's kind of taking advantage of Ned's being a, a bit of a rube that he can essentially say, "Oh, there's spies everywhere. This old lady's a spy. This young boy's a spy. This guy hoeing a row is a spy." You know, kind of forcing him to trust him, or do you think that he's actually hmm. telling the truth? Like it might not be. Well, Ver- Varys has mentioned something about. It spies right he's the master of whispers we know he like i i guess he could be using kids i guess cersei could be using old men it seems like very grouped off right like little fingers using women that right. kind of makes sense given his line of work true uh yeah when they're too old to be a draw in the whorehouse they they get issued a nun's habit and they're, right. they're assigned a park bench somewhere in king's landing and they just start yeah. writing down everything they hear and when these these little kids that are various spies grow up to be they move right old, to the whorehouse they go, they go to cersei it's, well, the, no, they it's the circle of life oh uh, yeah right. right the men the old men go i guess to cersei because this old gardener dude is sure acclaimed to Queen's be a spy man. for cersei uh i guess i like I genuinely don't remember exactly how the end of the season plays out, uh-huh. so I I don't know what role Littlefinger plays in any of the future events, but I do like distrust Littlefinger just implicitly. There's something about his face, something about his mannerisms. Honestly, a lot of it is in being Mayor like. Carsetti. Like I brought in okay, all that baggage, and I'm like, you don't cast a guy like that, yeah, unless he's a stand and having be a stand up straight up shooter. I was actually expecting. You know, if I was looking at my biases, I'm like, ah, oh, it'd be an interesting twist if he was a stand-up, straight-up shooter. Right. Because then he'd be cast against type, but... Mm-hmm. But he seems to be playing some kind of game. Yeah. I'm just not sure what it is. And that's the thing. Like, I think the, the point at this per- particular vignette is that everyone in King's Landing is playing some kind of game. Right. It's the Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, I hear you either win or you die. So the captain of the Hand of the King's Guard... Yeah. So so the, the Hand of the King I think it's Jory. has a guard, and this is the captain of it. Yeah, captain of Ned Stark's personal guard. Right. Approaches Sir Hugh, but uh, he's shut down. He doesn't want anything to do with the guy. He's not a fucking knight. Uh, then this dude goes back to Ned, who's checking out the armor. Uh, he meets Gendry, who, who is that armor. Uh, he's made a sweet bull helmet. Ned he asks him what Aaron wanted, and Gendry says, he asked a bunch of questions about my mom, and Ned realized... Oh my God, he's the bastard of the king. Yep, Ned's putting this together pretty pretty quickly. He is. Uh, he must have. He must have just binge read that book, <laughs> figured it all out. Because yeah, it seems like it, Lord Aaron was doing this research for a week. Of course, that's the thing about the passage of time. Because yeah. goddamn, four episodes in, I already got someone complaining about uh, you know how the hell did you Tyrion just go it. from Winterfell to the Crossroads? That's what my, just my, forget about it. Well, you know it does unless you think that Ned puts everything that Lord Arryn did over the course of weeks and months together in a day. Yeah, then there is passage of time. Also, did they literally prepare the Hands Tournament grounds in like one day? Like, there's a lot of clues here that time is passing. The wolf's getting bigger. Right. Like you know. Uh, I I just feel like that. Yeah, I. So we've seen the cripple. We've seen the bastard. What's the broken things in this episode? 
Uh, Do we have a broken things? Varus is junk. <laughs> okay. It's been dis- disabled. Uh, Hugh's neck <laughs> later on. Um, uh, yeah, what is the broken thing? I guess, I mean, Bran is kind of a cripple and a broken thing. Right. Yeah. Is Sam a broken thing? Uh, His spirit's maybe. broken. Spirit he has no certainly. spirit. Yeah. And never if it came, it came out of the manufacturer, just uninstalled, <laughs> yeah, unequipped, but... non-functional. Uh, so we go over to Jamie, standing watch outside King Robert's room. Um, when Ned's guy comes up, what did you say his name was? You uh, think? Jory or Rory? I think it's Jory. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of insulting of Cersei in quotes going on inside this room, a.k.a. Robert Horan. Yes, this is Jory Castle. He is the son of the man with the interesting sideburns tied underneath his chin. Oh, okay, cool. There you go. Uh, Jamie and Jory... Good God. Jamie uh, and Jory sitting, sitting in, in a tree. tree. <laughs> <laughs> Reminiscing about the Siege of Pike, apparently. Uh, this guy tries to leave a message with uh, from Ned with Robert, but Jamie says, no, I'm not taking that. Mm-hmm. I don't serve Ned Stark. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you tell us about the Siege of Pike? Uh, so this is know? the grisly end of the rebellion that the Greyjoys had against the uh, the mm. rightful rulers of the realm. Um, they thought that Westeros is weak after the war. Uh, they were wrong, and uh, uh, Ned Stark personally led the forces against them and uh, siege their, laid siege to their island and uh, kicked their ass in and killed all of Balon's sons, save Theon. So uh, Ned. So Jamie fought alongside Ned with that, or in that, in that siege, right? Sure. And he also fought alongside this Jory guy. Dude, that's probably Jory. That, that they said it's his first kind of uh, battle, right? Yeah, I got his and scar. That's like he would, to he'd be one eye. of Ned's men at, men at arms, so he would he'd be right there in the mix. Sure. Yeah. Uh, why? Why is it? Did they explain exactly why Jamie hates Ned so much um, in those previous episodes? Well, because he mean, seems to, yeah. but if they fought alongside each other against the Greyjoys, I don't know why he really would. Well, I mean, a lot of people fight against people they don't like, but or alongside people they don't like because you know mm-hmm. these. This is again medieval fiefdom, so you have to fight when your lord calls your banners. It doesn't matter what you think, but <laughs> sure. I think there is an implication about like this Kingslayer business, and you know the fact that Ned thinks he's better than Jamie because Jamie's the Kingslayer. There's there's a little oh, bit of... Oh, so it's of, coming from Ned. Ned's the bad guy here. Uh, it's... Uh, I think we're supposed to... I, I think we're at this point we're supposed to still be openly wondering what all the history is behind here. Right. I guess I have I have more sympathy for Jamie than I probably should. It's because uh, it's he's a good-looking guy. It's hard to well, hit a good-looking You know, guy. he does seem so damn reasonable. He does. Like, yeah. he doesn't a lot of seem... Time, like he's he, very laid back. He seems... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, other than pushing a child out of a window and almost well, killing him. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ned's child. He was just mad at Ned for being a dick to him, so he shoved Bran I also out. thought it was cool how he said Theon looks like a shark that's on top of a mountain, and yeah. then uh, Jory says, oh, Theon's a good lad. I doubt it. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so John joins the brothers for a meal. Uh, I think it's lunch. Could be lunch or breakfast. Uh, he tells him not to hurt Sam anymore, even if Alistair says to. Then uh, one of the guys is, he basically just doesn't agree. He says, I'm going to kick his ass regardless. Uh, later that night, John takes his wolf and threatens the guy. The next day in the yard, no one will attack Sam. Finally, fed up, Alistair asks if they want a man or a boy at their back when they go north of the wall. Yep. Got a, got Fair a point. Code, got a code red from Ghost. But yeah, that's. It's. 
hard put to... Put Ghost in a sock and everyone <laughs> just beat him with it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're want, we want to feel sympathy for John because he's doing the noble thing. Yeah. And Sam's a pit of pitiful person. But Alistair has a point. In the he military does. Organization. I mean, this is essentially you can't handle the truth kind of moment. Right. This is no joke. Uh, if the wildlings do come calling, and later we hear the story um, about how they were fighting the wildlings in the winter, yeah, caused them problems. So sure. maybe it'll even just be the winter that sure is a bigger problem. That's what I'm saying like a, a best case situation of if if Sam doesn't get to some kind of you know modicum of uh, of capability, he's a a useless mouth that needs to be fed during the winter. Yeah. Which is a fairly big detriment. I mean, you can imagine how brutal. I mean, look at the fucking wall. It's a giant block of ice, and it's not even winter yet. <laughs> right. And the story that Alistair tells later, it's, it, it's a cold story. Yeah. It seems pretty cold. They're eating horses. They're eating humans. Sure. Uh, the, the sun is blotted out by how bad the storm is. Like, sure. Yeah. And that's the thing people don't a lot. I think maybe they they haven't grasped yet that... that uh, because Nan, old Nan tells a story of like these winters that snow castle walls deep and go on for and like that that yeah. that part is not legend like this happens in living memory that you can have a winter that lasts for years. Yeah, Ned talks about it and he says you know the kids haven't seen it yet, right? Because they're too young. They're but, all summer children, right? But he has. Yeah, this has been a very long and prosperous uh, summer after mm-hmm. the Roberts Rebellion that the realm is really kind of prospered under. We go back to Viserys, who drags that slave girl into Danny's tent, upset that she invited him to supper. Uh, he, Danny tries to give him some gifts, but he throws them back in her face, and he slaps her because he's insulted by the manure smell, I guess. Well, yeah, she made him what she considered an honor. Is like, you know, instead right. of going around these old-ass Westerosi rags, like, you know, be like me. You know, be be Dothraki royal, royalty. Yeah. Not having it. Not interested. Not having it. Uh, Danny's also not having it. She fights back, which surprises Viserys, and uh, then she threatens him if she ever or if he ever touches her again, uh, things are going to go badly for him. His hands will become useless and forfeit. Yeah, <laughs> whip him so, right off. Uh, I don't know what else you want to say about that scene. It's it's funny because you know, know. she's he's always threatened like you don't want to wake the dragon, you don't want to wake the dragon. She finally wakes the dragon. She just belts him with a. Well, a, a belt, uh, yeah. a, a metal gold belt, and uh, puts him down. So, like, this is a huge... I remember this is the first time being impressed with Daenerys, because I, I know I've said it before that she's always kind of had this, like, doe-eyed, you know, blank expression effect, which makes sense yeah. for what... But it's, it was hard for me to get a grip on. But, like, I remember, like, you know, you had a, a, a well-earned yes kind of moment of first standing up to this fucker. Yeah, and, and, and and she had to because there was no you know horseman's going to ride up at the whip. There was they were alone in there. She he was going right. to go to town on her if she didn't, and she did. Yeah, and I mean, there's I I don't know. Viserys is powerless here, and like to me, every moment that passes that he doesn't understand that he's just becoming more and more foolish. I mean, sure, he just married his sister off to an army. Yeah, uh, I mean, thousands and thousands strong. He's here by his lonesome. There's nothing he can do. It, whatever they want to do, they will do. Yeah. Danny and Drogo are going like a to... Best case scenario, he steals his sister back, and then at which case he has 100,000 Dothraki screaming at his back. Right, and he can't go to Westeros. Right. He can't stay here. Like, right. Now he's he's a nomad without anywhere to go. Right. Uh, so, yeah, completely powerless, and he just doesn't get it. Nope. I, th- I think he's starting to, though. 
Uh, so Sam and John clean up the mess hall. Sa- uh, Sam talks about girls and how he's never been with one. Uh, neither has John, apparently, even though he's had the opportunity. And he explains he didn't do it because it basically he wouldn't want to bring a bastard child into the world because he's lived that life and it's no fun. Uh-huh. Uh, Alistair walks in, starts ribbing John about how cold it must be down in the south at Winterfell. Uh, he t- and I know Winterfell is not south, but, you know, relative to here. He talks about this time north of the wall fighting against the wildlings and how they got caught in a blizzard and a bunch of them died and had to eat each other. He tells them they're weak and basically they'll die when winter comes. And a two-week tour turned into six months, which is pretty fucking brutal. It's essentially the plot of Gilligan's Island, if you think about it. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> and there's no Professor of the Coconuts. No. Nope. The, the gin-up solutions nope. while you're there. Not going to have any TV, that's for sure. No. You know, one thing I also want to mention is that uh, Sam mentioned that you know the guys make you take all these oaths, but then I've seen them at brothels in Molestown, which is a little town, and it's like they've all got their si- Sally on the side. I'm like, mm-hmm. what did poor Sally do? Her reputation these past. She's she's, she's yeah. back alley Sally, Sally on the sides. If I was the Sallys Man. in this realm, I'd ra- I'd raise up and say enough, enough. Yeah, I'm Number with one. You. So we're whores. There's nothing wrong with that. Number two, not all of us are whores. Hashtag not all Sallys. Um, I, Luckily, we haven't seen a Sally yet. So <laughs> sure. Like, I'll feel bad if we ever see a Sally. Maybe that's a like an invented, fictitious nonsense name like yeah. Jory. <laughs> like, you know, Western Sally is like some kind of outlandish, crazy name. Yeah, might be. Like Jim. <laughs> G- G- Jim. Jim. That's the name. The word doesn't even sound real. Uh, well, it's better than all the, the matching names that, uh, mm. uh, the names in the show, uh, we'll, we'll eventually hear them all. Yeah. Alistair's, he loses some badass points cause he tells us this, this horrific old man type story. And then in the end he's like, come the winner, you'll die like flies. Like that's the best thing you could think of in the assembly yeah. department, man. I guess so. All the animals and, and, and you come that with like flies. Jesus. Yeah, how about like no one called him a poet? I suppose pigs at a at a tournament, right? That pigs because yeah. you know he's this guy's a lady piggy. You know, that that at least makes thematic sense. You missed a real opportunity there. Alistair. He did. He did. Uh, so we go back to Danny worrying to Jorah about hitting Viserys. Uh, she knows he's not fit to lead an army and take her home. It's a real short scene there where she's kind of realizing the the pitiful truth that we've all come to realize before this yeah like you said i hit the dragon and he goes viserys is the shadow of a snake <laughs> right he's <laughs> got no legs he can't breathe fire yeah just yep. got the scales he also dispenses some wisdom because she's like you know the common people are praying for his return he said the common people pray for good crops health and the summer that never ends which is a theme that this is going to run throughout the series of what you know what really matters, and and who, wh- where power actually resides in the realm, and if the common folks had to say they just want peace and prosperity and to be left alone by the the lords and ladies, right? And like I wonder how much all of that is true. I wonder how much we can trust Jorah um, and his judgment of the people. He is one of those I think dirty other slavers. people might say other things, yeah. but uh, like I do want to talk a little bit more in the spoiler section about that. Certainly, kind of in the context of later show stuff. Uh, but we go to the tournament where Littlefinger approaches the Stark girls. He explains why he's called Littlefinger, and the tournament begins. Littlefinger explains who the contestants are. It's the Mountain, who is uh, the brother of the Hound, and also this Sir Hugh guy, who was the squire for John Aaron, now a knight. Uh, Sir Hugh is killed in the joust. Mountain puts a spear right through his neck. 
Littlefinger tells Sansa the story of the mountain and the hound and basically how the mountain disfigured his brother in the fire for playing with his toys. Mm-hmm. Pretty brutal. Yeah. This, just, this mountain guy is ominous in a lot of different ways. He's he's something else. Um, talk about that in the spoiler section, too. Uh, I also just want to, because I think some people still get confused after this, the, the whole Littlefinger name, is that when he's talking about the spit of land called the Fingers, there's a, there's a parcel of land on the... East coast of Westeros, kind of in the middle of it, where there's a whole bunch of peninsulas that jut out. Kind of like imagine if there's like four or five Floridas just sticking out of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And they call those peninsulas the Fingers. And his family has a very minor holding on one of them. And he's a runt, so they call him Littlefinger. Right. Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, Cersei goes to see Ned, who has not attended the tournament. Uh, Cersei wants to bury the direwolf hatchet. And asks what Ned's doing in King's Landing. Oh, we, we also mentioned, like, it's clear that the death of Sir Hugh is convenient and fishy, right? Okay. He was just a person I, of interest. There's an right. armor malfunction. And just... He refused to talk to Jory and, earlier. And, 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 and boy, howdy, it's just convenient that the mountain strikes in that one weak part. And and, and, and I think it's also... Out. Yeah, it's it's also the metaphor for silencing this guy, right? Yes. Just, just cutting him through the throat there. Yep. Uh, I I think that's all. I don't know if I picked that up the first time, but the second time through, this was very obvious. And like I said, I honestly do not remember what the outcome of this is. So I don't know if that was what they were going for, but it certainly stood out. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, Cersei's talking with Ned. He asked what uh, she asked what he's doing in King's Landing. He says, he's just trying to help Robert. She jabs at him about being a follower instead of a leader. And he said, he's trained to kill his enemies. And Cersei says she was too. Mm. Hmm. The lion has claws. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wonder if she's implying stuff about Bran. If she's implying maybe her involvement with this Lori death or Lori <laughs> Hugh death. Yeah, <laughs> thinking Hugh Lori got a house on the brain. <laughs> uh, I don't know. She. It's very ominous though. Uh, the the mental image of uh, house jousting with his cane. <laughs> pretty funny <laughs> he sharpens the end of it yeah, sure he, he if does. he takes the the rubber stopper off the end it's just a sword yeah yeah uh it also has a needle for injecting drugs into mm, your veins mm. so there's that uh vicodin right in through the the scrotum <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> yeah would that be bad vicodin to, if you it gotta take a bad. shot to the scrotum i mean vicodin's right there to help you out <laughs> it's the it's the it's the cure right. of disease all rolled into one <laughs> Uh, we go back to Cat, who is at an inn on the road to Winterfell. When Tyrion shows up, she tries to hide, but he notices Cat, who calls out all her loyalists in the room. Then she proclaims that Tyrion conspired to murder her son and calls upon them to seize Tyrion. And they do. Yeah, it's pretty... I mean, so at one point, this is a kind of a badass scene of her essentially calling her own banners. and uh-huh. But on the other hand... What did you think that when you first? Because I think I, when I first saw this, I'm like, "Oh, this is super badass." But on second watch, I'm thinking, "This is super impetuous." Like you are seizing your husband is in King's Landing, and, right and now. he's supposed to firm up these allegations that you're making, right? And right. before you've heard back anything on that, you are just going to seize the son of one of the most powerful families that the crown is personally in debt to. That the queen yeah. that 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 is married to the king, that's son, the other older brother is a member of the king's guard. Like this seems risky. 
it is. You're right. You're a hundred percent right on that. I, th- she's angry, right? I mean, she's she's rightfully angry that Bran had this happen to him. She thinks Tyrion is responsible. She thinks I may never have another opportunity, so I'm going to take this one. Yeah, because I want my vengeance. And it might be a chit that can help my husband. Like you know, if we've got this guy hostage, like you yeah, think... but they'll just take Ned hostage. Like that's well, you know. I, I think King Robert would. I mean, in the calculation, they've got I Arya, think the fact, Sansa, Ned, like all yeah, of them. Yeah, but they're not going to fucking take them hostage while King Robert sits the throne. Probably not. I mean, I think that's what's going through. But her what's he going to do about Tyrion? I mean, Cersei certainly won't. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting pawn to have, I guess. Right. I it, just don't know that it helps her all that much, as much as she thinks it does. Yeah. No, I've sure, sure, obviously, and you know, I think if, when since we're following Tyrion's point of view at this point, I was dubious that he had had. Well, I mean, I knew he didn't have anything to do to do with uh, Bran's death. So that's as the audience, we know a lot more than the characters themselves do. So right. we know that yeah. you are totally barking up the wrong tree, lady. Right. Which but, I, I mean, that's why I distrust Littlefinger the most is because he clearly like lied. Did he? Like, I don't. Why would Tyrion? I mean, unless Tyrion's really just super loyal to his brother and sister, why would Tyrion hire this guy to go kill Bran? Right, right. And well, I, I'm just saying that he interpreted the evidence of the dagger like that. It's kind of like, well, I mean, whether he lied or not about that, I don't know that we know yet. But well, okay, fair, fair. Uh, I guess Tyrion might. I don't think you. Know, I don't think you trust Mayor Car- Carsetti's face. I don't. I really don't. It's his voice too. The way he speaks, I can't. I can't get past just it. The unctuous manner in which he speaks. Yep. Uh, I really like the line from Sideburns here. Where the guy, the, uh, what are they called? The singing dude. Oh. can't think of his, what they're yeah, fucking called. The, the bards. Sure. The bard comes up. He says, a song while we wait? And the guy says, I would rather <laughs> throw myself down a well. You can tell that, <laughs> like, brutal. this is busking level talent. This is a guy yeah. who was, like, on a street corner, and he somehow wormed his way inside the inn, and now he's he's about to be asked to leave. But You, you, you know, like, you can tell he's not good at his job because he asks. Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. Just go up and start playing that song, man. Oh, yeah? You're the type of guy to just start spraying down a man's windshield before they've agreed to a price? I, I'm just... not, but I. that's how you do it. If this you want to make should, money, yeah. that's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, this guy take advantage of the social contract, right? I have it rendered now you a service. Guilty. Now you, you, you know, you can. Yeah, you don't have to pay me if you want to be a giant asshole exactly. right in front of your lady. But you know, if you if you want to be a stand up guy, <laughs> throw me some coin. I, I see what you're uh, putting down. There's a, in my mind, there's a huge flaw in this scene. Oh, just fucking enormous. Aside from Roderick's uh, sideburns, <laughs> well, that's that's a faux pas on every level. But the one I'm talking about is Cat calling out all these people of the different houses and talking about their embroidery on their coats and their mm-hmm. all this shit. There's nothing. These people's coats aren't embroidered at all. Hmm. Like if you look at them, all it is is just plain ass leather armor. Huh. I assume that she was referring to like a cloak that was on the back of their chair or something i mean you're because i i maybe i didn't see especially it especially the heron hall guy i'm like oh man there's gonna be a sweet black bat on the front of this guy's chip but no there wasn't nothing i did look at that 
And I mean, maybe she recognized like one of them or yeah. two of them, but she specifically talks about embroidery. And yeah. I'm like, where we'll, is we'll it? We'll run into the phrase soon enough. And their trademark uh, weird ass headgear was easily distinguishable. But yeah, you're right. You're but it right. feels like a mistake. If in fact it is a mistake, and maybe I just missed like a cape or something. But if it is a mistake, it feels like a mistake they would no longer make in the show. You're right. I think this that is they're a season very, one. They're much more on. careful about you know making sure that. It, but but man, the I, details are sweating. That, there them again, out. the budget on that. Like when they had the training montage scene in the Castle Black. If you look at the extras, you can tell those are just like grips and camera operators that are wearing mismatched pieces of leather, Ooh, and yeah, they're they're clearly not directed to do any kind of training or fighting. They're just kind of milling around and waving sticks and. It's the the yeah. I, I feel like you're right. If this is shot in season six, he would have had a fucking sweet black bat embroidered on his his yeah. chest piece, and you know they would have had the twin bridges on the 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 phrase and all that. But yeah, it's a huh. little bit a little threadbare. Oh well, because uh, these still. are the same uniforms the guys up in Castle Black were wearing just a few weeks ago when they're swinging their swords <laughs> around. Right. Uh, but that's it. They they fade out as they take Tyrion captive yeah or at least point swords at him that much is is true right on uh i wonder what uh old what's his name yorin is that his name does he whip out a sword does he volunteer to help there i didn't look at him i don't think he gets involved in he just slowly backs away he's essentially like well it's been fun Tyrion. uh you kind of you you promised me feather beds and you fucked me at winterfell and now you're fucking me at the crossroads he did walk in and loudly proclaim i'm not with this guy (laughs) did he yeah because Tyrion asked him like uh do you want to stay like you want to get quarters or something and he's like oh i'd stay alone or something hmm Maybe he's already. I guess it says like he Tyrion is promising this this nice you know like he's gonna ride high on the hog and so mm-hmm. far he's crapped out of maybe he got maybe maybe they say to stay in a nice place and mulls down but or maybe know. he set him up mm. maybe he knew cat. That's the thing is Yorin Yorin I think uh, canonically counted on having a nice feather bed and being feasted at Winterfell because like everyone loves the the, the Night's Watch in, in the yeah. in Winterfell. So like he's like yeah. So he got turned away with Tyrion. Well, I think because Rob did say any man of the Night's Watch is welcome, but you need to get okay. the fuck out. And then Tyr- so I think Tyrion slept at the horrors, and Yorin probably cool. You know, but but yeah, then he gets to the first like the the, the crossroads, and like okay, here's where the Lannister coin's really going to come in to its own. And nope, turns it down. Got arrested. Womp womp. <laughs> okay, that's it. Uh, I do have feedback. Would you like to consider some? Yeah. Uh, Cody S. wonders, is there any way Sam could abdicate his inheritance beside taking the black? Do you know of Just any? Just run screaming into the woods? like. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think that... I don't know any. The thing that's special Become about Kingsguard, taking the, the can you do that? that? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. You could take any... You, you could also do but that. didn't we talk about, like, that doesn't... Like, you can be dismissed and that... From the hand, from the Kingsguard, oh, not necessarily. That's, really? It's, I don't think it's ever happened in the, you know, 300-year history of the Kingsguard, anyway. Right. Uh, the thing is special about taking the black, other than the fact that it literally spans back thousands of years, so it's like it got a firm tradition, is that um, there's a mechanism for if you, you, you... There's only one way out of the Night's Watch, and it's death. And if you try to desert... Any any man found deserting from the Night's Watch gets death. Gets death. As we saw so in like episode if you, one. If you pop up later and say, "Yeah, I'm Samuel Tarley. Want my house back?" Well, you're put to death. So right. that's why it's it's almost like a constantly suspended death sentence. Um, gotcha. Which is it's very much permanent rather than 
You know, like if you just send him in exile, you know, bides his time for 20, 30 years, the, the Lord dies and yeah. his brother die, he could come sliding right back in. Uh, what about the maesters? What's their tradition? Picel, what's, what's up with believe, like Picel? Yeah, you know what? That's probably not... That's a good point. Why didn't they just send Sam to the Citadel? I know because are they also celibate like the Night's Watch is? I think so because okay. they have to they have to essentially pledge uh to be neutral and to faithfully serve the lord that they're put, you know, assigned to and give good and truthful right. and honest counsel no matter no matter who what lord they're serving. Is that a lifelong I think so, yeah. Thing? Okay. Um, and the other thing is, the only thing I can think of is that this shows what an asshole his father was because Sam might enjoy that, whereas <laughs> right. it seems like sending him to the Night's Watch is just he assumed he'd die, you know. Or give him the toughest possible life for that kind of person. Right. Like, he'll, you'll, either become a, you'll, you'll be, either become a man that I can grudgingly admire or you'll die either way. If you stay a soft, fat boy at the Citadel, it's going to be a constant reminder of my son being disgusting, so... Is there some kind of like religious organization? I know we saw that Septa. You called her, yeah. So, so it's the Septons. That's pra possibility. But okay. boy, I, you know what? I have you're asking me a whole bunch of questions. I haven't really thought of. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I don't know. Like I, and again, there are like, a lot of factions that take different vows. Th- th- I, think and I don't it's know what like, they all are. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you have to take a vow of celibacy if you're a pre. But like a lot of you know, like you were going to find out about the high septon and like you know how pure he is and in, in, in episodes to come, we'll eventually meet him. But um, the thing is, is still like if you decided you didn't want to be a priest anymore, there's no one going to hunt down and kill you. Okay. So gotcha. that I think that's the big thing is that there's just there might be real... shame involved, but not yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if you're shameless, and that that's not a real barrier, whereas <laughs> right. you just can't talk your way out of, uh, you know, getting getting away from the black. Now yeah. that's the thing. Like, I think it's possible you could escape from the wall, take off your black uniform, dress in rough sp- spun cloth, and be you know hire yourself out as a manual laborer. And as long as you kept your identity a secret, you'd be okay. But the very second you said forth, "I'm actually Samuel Tarley," then right. shoo, you get your your ex your your head cut off. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also says, does Tyrion not have any guards, or at least one guard? And, boy, that's another one where I sat and thought, hmm. I could spin a yarn about the fact that the King's Road is, like, a major thoroughfare of Westeros, and this is a relative time of peace and prosperity, and a guy like Tyrion could probably walk from one end to the other and not be molested, but... I couldn't find any evidence about the King's Road being that safe. In fact, I believe Sir Roderick said to Lady Catelyn that the King's Road is rough, especially for a woman. And I would think you could say the same thing about an unarmed, unescorted dwarf. So that yeah. does seem like... And we talked about the very small contingent that he took to the, the wall. Now, didn't... So he's just back on his way with that that small party again. Right. I thought that Tyrion did have two Lannister guards with him in the background of Winterfell. Yeah, I think he has a couple, but not many. I think that's the thing. Like, you might have enough. I mean, you, you'd be escorted by enough to, like, ward off any kind of brigands and thief. And, and people, like, you know, two or three men in plates, plate armor with with good castle fort swords right. are going to be the equal of a dozen bandits. Like, the bandits are just not going to fuck with you. Yeah. They're going to wait for the unescorted women and dwarves. and Yeah, the yeah. merchants going by yeah, with their yeah, carriages yeah. full of gold. Like, yeah, 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 with a nervous farm boy holding the crossbow. <laughs> right. uh, but you, they're not going to be able to stand against a dozen of Catelyn, Catelyn Tully's sworn bannermen. So. Right, yeah, they're badasses. All right, so I think... I think uh, 
that should probably so it's it, not that he did have an escort it just wasn't sufficient to resist a, a citizen's arrest by a, a great lady uh kelly r from chicago said in last week's podcast you discussed a question about how bran was kept alive when he was in a coma you conjectured based on both your penny dreadful watching and historical resource research that they used a funnel and tube system to feed him broth the book actually touches on this question. Huh. There's a scene where the Lannisters are still at Winterfell, where Jaime, Tyrion, Marcella, and Tommen, and the Queen of Poor Choices are discussing <laughs> Bran's condition. Uh, this scene was in the show, but they didn't actually do this dialogue. Marcella asks, will Bran get better, Uncle? And Tyrion explains that Bran's back and legs are broken, and then says, they keep him alive with honey and water, he would else starve to death. Oh. Uh, He's going to have diabetes when he wakes up. <laughs> Tyrion doesn't say how the uh, honey and water is delivered, but I would guess that your funnel tube theory is correct. There's also there's rectal rectal feeding. Have. I was going to say I now know that because of declassified CIA reports that I'm not super proud of as an American. But okay, you could also do the, I know that from butt chugging. Yeah, you can you can butt chug a bottle oh, of booze sure. and that works. So I've heard tell why of a guy drowned doing doing he he poured himself a warm bath and he an, an, an enema full of a bottle of wine and then passed out oh and my sank God. beneath the waves. Yeah, don't butt chug. That's <laughs> right. That's just a recipe for disaster. Anytime you're injecting something where it doesn't go, if you're mainlining heroin, you've gone too far. If you're butt chugging alcohol, you've you're you you know if you're shooting Vicodin in your scrotum, <laughs> it's too much. Right. If you're hot boxing a car and it looks like a Cheech and Chong film, you're gone. You're, you're, it's too extreme, man. It's too extreme. Yeah. All right. Rachel H says, uh, I, have a st- I have to stick up for my boy Jon Snow and a Starkman in general who Aaron disdainfully says tend to be dumb. After Tyrion and Benjen told Jon to check his privilege, Jon started training the other recruits. Jon doesn't try to fit square pegs into round holes. He encourages Arya to throw off gender norms, had a sword made especially for her, and gave her good, sound advice. Those aren't the actions of someone who is dumb. Those are the actions of someone who is a quick learner and the future leader. His actions to protect Sam were impulsive, but Alistair is a terrible teacher. Maybe Alistair could have given that scary educational speech before. Also, I'm not sure how beating someone viciously is instructive, but whatever. Okay, so maybe he's not dumb even though he acts with his mouth open uh but he might be naive ignorant well that's because alistair like, i say shit. i say the stark men are dumb because it's funny okay you know, just like i say i call i call, I call cersei the queen of poor choices because that's also funny uh-huh. um having said that i will defend the idea that ned himself is pretty dumb mm-hmm. and he plays the game of thrones which is like poker the way a six-year-old plays gold go fish Right. Like, he just trusts when he says, you know, two of clubs. The other person says, go fish, that they don't actually have the two of clubs. And that's not a great way to play the Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, but, no. I mean, she she has a fair point here. As she continues, the show didn't include the uh, book scene where Bran makes an observation about Ghost. Bran thought it curious that this pup alone would have opened... When, well, when he says, that dog's white. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Good one, Bran. Pen- really proving you're doing your family insight. proud. <laughs> uh, Brand thought it curious that this pup alone would have opened his eyes while the others were still blind. Um, talking ah. about that the ghost, the runt of the litter opened his eyes up. You know, I don't know if everyone knows this, but for the people that lived in the city and never seen one, like puppies and kittens, when they come out, their eyes are like sealed shut. They don't okay. open their eyes for several days uh, after they're born. Uh, anyway, she continues that Martin was telling this to inform us that John is a visionary, something that we're already getting glimpses of. 
The Starks do have their flaws, mm-hmm. to be sure, and I have faith that your future discussion of them is more nuanced than reducing them beyond <laughs> honor, bound, and dumb. That's like saying that all the Lannisters tend to be evil. But don't they? Okay, kinda, yeah. Like, even Tyrion's got a little bit of a bastard bastard edge to him. Yeah, it, our opinions do get more nuanced as the show goes on. Sure. For sure. But it's also fun to say Ned Stark's the king of dumb, and sure. they're just doing dumb stuff, and... And and uh, you know again, let's be fair. If you if you go down the Stark family tree and look at the men and look at the choices, they're also not scholars and philosophers and 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 nuanced individuals themselves. Yeah, they don't even have a genealogy book. No, those guys it's a coloring don't book. know how to write. Yeah, it's just 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 pages of pages of Starks where you can fill in the lines and or, or direwolves. <laughs> Uh, Troy C., first off, what does Stormborn mean? Danny sometimes referred to as Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, and sometimes Hmm. it's just Daenerys Targaryen. What is a Stormborn? What does it come from? How does one get that title? Is Viserys a Stormborn too? This is a good question. I have this no idea. This is a very good question, and I will provide a quote from A, sor- a, a Storm of Swords. Uh, Daenerys Stormborn, she was called, for she had come howling into the world on a distant dragonstone as the greatest storm in the memory of Westeros howled outside, a storm so fierce it ripped gargoyles from the castle walls and smashed her father's fleet to kindling. Hmm. Okay. So it's just uh, you know, a nickname. It's like... Uh, Born under uh, certain... Yeah, it's like Certain... Dances with Wolves is called Dances with Wolves, and She Who Stands with Bald Fists is called that for some reason, and Dances with Wolves. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm trying to think of another... It seems like there is another... I can. Th- I, there should be ready examples of why other people are called the things they are. Like the mountain. The mountain's called the mountain because he's huge. Littlefinger. Littlefinger's called Littlefinger because sure. he's small and he's from the fingers. So, you know... Tommy two times is called Tommy two times because he says everything twice. It's just, just uh, what you get hung with. <laughs> Um, Troy C. also wants to know, uh, when Robert is retelling his story of the, his first kill, it's clear that it took place during the battle in Robert's Rebellion. Uh, he says, parenthetically, the guy thought he could end the rebellion with one swing of a sword. Mm-hmm. I personally find it hard to believe that his first kill occurred in the midst of a rebellion he was leading. I don't think someone who hasn't led signif- or hasn't had significant combat or killing experience would be able to lead a rebellion, hmm. let alone a successful one. Is there something here I'm missing? Or am I being reasonable in my skepticism for the truth- truthfulness of that story? Do you? I mean, you might be able to answer this. You got, a, you got an inkling? No. Uh, I actually don't, but I do think it's pretty reasonable to assume that the leader of a rebellion would probably have killed somebody. So if you remember, because I've explained this a couple a couple times, um, but I'll try to lay out here. The John, so Ned's dad and brother went to King's Landing to demand justice for their da- their daughter being kidnapped by Rhaegar. The Mad King uh, set set them. <laughs> yep. set Eddard's father on fire, and uh, Brandon Stark went uh, killed himself in this kind of ingenious contraption. He was essentially tied in some kind of iron noose and there was a sword just out of his fingertips and if he could some get the sword he could free himself shit. yeah he could save himself and his father but in doing so it strangled him it, 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 it essentially strangled him mm. uh, should have worked out his neck more <laughs> so then um, John Aaron who's of the Vale was squiring both Ned and Robert which is why they became best bros they went there as young men right. and or young boys and became men in his household and they were just on the cusp of like you know being men they were probably their late teens and uh, the Mad King demanded him to turn over his ward so they could be executed too because they didn't you know he didn't want another Ned Stark looking for vengeance 
that's when John Aaron decided to call his banners and rebel. So to say that 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 Robert and Ned were the leaders of the rebellion, they were okay. the wards of the guy who rebelled, but they were also badasses in their own right. It's like you know, yeah, they're like Kira Norris, uh coming up under what's his what's his name, the real leader of the rebellion, right? Who's Kira Norris? I know Deep Space Nine. Oh shit! Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was thinking Star Wars, and like I'm like I haven't oh, really settled no. into the new trilogy yet, man. I don't know everybody's names. Um, or it's like Robin, you know, if you dismiss Robin as the Batman's slacky, yeah. you, you're going to be, you know, you, you, he later grows up and becomes Nightwing, a superhero in his own right. Starts so. killing people. Yeah, starts killing people. <laughs> so you got right, like, I'm sure Ned and Robert fought in tournaments and did things like that, but it's not a stretch to imagine in a time of relative peace that they hadn't been to war and killed anybody until that moment. And right, and it's not like leaders. Robert's at the head of that rebellion going. They became leaders through their heroic and valiant actions and 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 and, sh- and the, the demonstrated leadership that they did in the, that rebellion, rather than you know they were the leaders from the outset. That's my interpretation okay. of it. So, uh, let's see here. Judd B says, "Oh, this is an existential meta question about Game of Thrones." So, and one for uh, for a cha- for a change that I can actually talk about in the non spoiler section. So what is your opinion of the final seasons being only uh, seven episodes and, uh, or seven and seven or seven and six episodes? So since episode season seven is going to be only seven episodes, season eight is going to be six. Which, by the way, uh, HBO confirmed that season eight will be the final season this week. So it looks like this, this stuff okay. that was rumored is, is actually going to pass. And um, I think... I think if I read the tea leaves, it's the Double D's desire to have done this in seven seasons. This seven-eight split is something they came up with HBO, so they can be a little bit more maybe ambitious in their storytelling and a little bit easier because I think they're getting right. getting worn out by the what what is you know we talked about this before, but the Game of Thrones schedule is grueling for these guys. It's essentially yeah. they shoot. It's like year round. They write. They shoot. They post-produce, and as soon as the things start airing, they go right back to writing and shooting and post-production. Like, they never, ever, ever get time off. Yeah. And the time off they probably do have, they have to spend doing press shit. So, yep. um, uh, so what is their opinion? It says, would you rather see Game of Thrones take all of 2017 off and then come back around the spring of 2018 for one final 13 to 14 episode stretch? Or would you assume, or would you rather them do the seven 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 six split? Uh, I assume as a professional podcaster, you prefer to split seasons. As a year without Game of Thrones would have an effect on your business. Ding 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 ding. Sure, sure. But as a fan, what do you prefer? I really do prefer the later season of No Game of Thrones in 2017 to come back in 2018 Oof. for one final mega size season seven, which would be a fitting tribute to the seven themes of or the seven themes of A Song of Ice and Fire. Seven gods, seven kingdoms, seven books, seven seasons. Well, first of all... Maybe they'll call this the final season, and they'll split it up into two like Breaking Bad did. Uh, Yeah. And it will come out as one season on the DVDs Mm, or whatnot. Sure. So you'll have those seven sets. This is a bookkeeping two seasons, not necessarily two seasons, in fact. Right. Maybe they'll do that, unless unless they specifically mention season eight in their announcement. Right. Um, But I don't know. Personally... I like it both, you know, as a podcaster, it does give me uh, another year of Game of Thrones, and I also don't have to skip a year, which mm-hmm. would be very bad for business, as he said. Uh, the other thing about it is, as a fan, I don't want to wait 19, 18 months, two years 
for that, new episodes. I mean, people are going to drop off. Right. Here's your purity test, Judd. If I came up to you right now and I said, I have the DVD of episode one of season seven, you can uh-huh. watch it right now. Do you say, no, no, I'll wait till 2018 to see them all? I think 99 out of 100 Game of Thrones fans would say, and probably pay money. To see it? To see it. Yeah. Like, if, if if this thing came out for $100, 100,000 people download it and watch it? HBO should test it. That's what they <laughs> Don't give do me any fucking yeah. ideas, man. $100 an episode. I just feel like it's easy as an intellectual thing. Like, like so many book people were saying, I'm not going to watch this new season. I'm going to abstain. And I'm sure some did. But some. the amount that you saw in r slash A-S-O-A-I-A-F saying that uh, in April versus the ones that were saying it during right. the season – not a huge it's it's much easier to say you're gonna that's why it's, you know it's like it's the reason i'm still fat uh it's much easier to say today's the day i'm gonna stop stuffing my face with food and then tomorrow you wake up and there's still delicious food well you're gonna keep eating it i, I think that most fans regardless of what they say it's kind of like the same thing in gaming everyone says they hate freemium pay to win shit and yet anytime it comes out there people can't stop throwing money at it so yeah, I, and I think it's a good idea from the HBO, from the production side, too, because yeah. uh, not only does you know, it give them a few more episodes to, to really get people into it, um, it keeps demand high. I think if you took a two-year break, it'd be too much, and a lot of people would drop off. Like Lives change a lot in two years, and you right. might not have room for Game of Thrones in that amount of time. Uh, and, and the other thing is, like, I don't want them to rush into a 13 episode season especially at the end where things are just they're so big right right now i mean the the work required to produce these episodes must be enormous and i i think they would have to cut corners if that's another them too fast excellent point because the double d's have also said that 10 episodes is that's not a stylistic choice this is not enough that's a limit like as since it's a year round like if they did 12 episodes they'd still be you know, they'd have to start shooting, you know, and the fact that they're in all these different corners of the world and getting the directors and actors schlepped around all these places. It's just like yeah, I mean, it's like it's like the shooting. speed of light. You might want to go faster than the speed of light, but until we uncover hyperdrive, you're still stuck at the speed of light. Right. They can't make more than 10 Game of Thrones episodes. 13 seems like it'd be a huge stretch. Yeah, and they would have to cut something. Would have to give there. Yeah, and I don't want it to as and a I, fan. And honestly, I was excited when I heard like a seven six split because to me that seems like you got the Fabergé egg theory that right. these are going to be even more spectacular, action packed. These are going to be even crazier and have even higher production values and better writing and better even pacing. Like it seems like a yep. win win to me. The Although I will say it's going to feel weird after seven weeks just to shut it down. Right. Yeah. Like, there, it's not all, you know, it's not all roses. I mean, in an ideal world, like, that's the thing. Like, But on balance, I'm for it. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, nothing goes on forever. The things that go on for, and the ends well. Right. You know, if, if you do the thing, like, you just keep making it until people get tired of it, then the final product is a, a pale shadow of itself. So mm-hmm. I will say one other thing is, like, I think you might be fooling yourself if you think there's only going to be seven books, too. If you recall, Martin intended this to be a trilogy, <laughs> and he started hedging his bets in the last oh, few years about whether we just have Winds of Winter and Dream and, and a Dream of Spring to go. That there, he's hinted that there might be yet another book because he's just you know he has so much plot left to get out. I really want to ask you where in the story he planned on cutting it off, but we're not in the spoiler section yet, so I can't. Yeah, uh, 
but I'd really like to know oh, well, where can, along can... the road he was he was content with saying this trilogy is going to end here. Okay, well that's that's it for the non-spoiler feedback. So we can, okay. you can ask me that in a few seconds here. Sounds good. Uh, uh, if you'd like to go? send feedback, uh, do it at Game of Thrones at baldmove dot com. You can discuss it amongst the fellow fans at forums at bald wait no forums dot baldmove dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we will uh, talk to you again next week. Uh, and if you are, you know, wanting to stay around for spoilers, they'll be on after the music. And if not, shut it off because you'll get spoilers. Spoilers, oh boy. Yep. So uh, see you then. And we're back with the spoiler section. Okay, tell me where the hell he was going to drop the mic on this story. Well, I think as a trilogy, it's that's that's a very good question um, because I I can't tell you the exact answer. I just know that the red like, wedding. Like, no, I don't think it's a cut off. I think it's more of like he had the beginning and end game, and then the middle was something that, oh, wow. that it was just going to be a trilogy. Um, but then. He his after after the red wedding essentially, and he wrapped up all of the war of their five kings. He intended there to be like a five year time skip, so that like Arya Stark could be a much older person, that Danny would be older, and and he was going to just flash forward five years and have everything kind of be hmm. put on hiatus. And now that everyone's age appropriate and they've you know Arya's become this badass assassin, in the meantime he can go tell the story. But as he started thinking about like people like. Brienne and Jamie and Daenerys and she's sitting in a slave city that she's freed and like you know how like that he started realizing that he was gonna have to do a lot of flashbacks and backstories something yeah. he was trying to avoid so then he just went in and started plowing into it but then he started you know coming in it's like well now I've got all these people scattered to the four corners of this of the globe and and they've got really good reasons to be where they're at. And now I have to get in. This is this gardener shit. That's like, you know, mm-hmm. he, he he should have probably pruned a lot, a lot sooner. Um, so that the, the, the gap books that weren't supposed to exist were uh, a, a feast for crows and a dance of dragons. Okay. So there's two phone book sized books that he was just going to skip over with the passage of time. Um, and try to just fill it in with context. Yeah, I've often book. wondered because I think, boy, sometimes I wonder which would have been better because he could have yada yada a lot of Danny and John. Although the John stuff is super interesting too. Like, you and and they weren't at a point where you could really put him in stasis because, like, why would the White Walkers wait for five years? Sure, you know why? There's a lot of things where like he introduced, and we've talked about this too. Like in the show, it almost stretches credibility that. This show has been going on for years, and the White Walkers were introduced in the very first episode, and they're just chilling. Yep. They're just waiting for – there's biding their time and waiting for Bran to get to where he needs to be. And, and, and like, I, I wonder if that will be a criticism in the future where people like, you know, if you step back – Game of Thrones is awesome, but if you step back and look, there's a lot of, like, questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of those, like, you know, when we do our Star Wars podcast, like – you can, as as genuine loving fans, nitpick a lot of shit because in everything there's like always a freight in here or there that doesn't make sense. But yeah, that's kind of like the big thing of like you know winter is coming. Why is it taking so long? Sure. Uh, anyway, let's get down to the spoiler. What did you? I, I had a, I have a bunch of stuff. Did you have anything? Who who do you want to go first? Uh, 
I mean, do you want to go back to this idea about the common people not caring what games the High Lords are playing? Sure, what Jorah seems to think. I mean, because you know, we talked in later seasons, in the the latest season actually, about the kind of position that Cersei's in, and we've talked about how uh, Tyrion's going to be perceived when he comes back. And according to Jorah here, nobody gives a shit, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how I've mostly felt the entire time. But, um. You know, a, a lot of the audience and a lot of people who listen to our podcast kind of think that they will care. Well, I think... Because he's been so demonized, especially like Tyrion. Yeah, and I think that... I think Jorah is right. And so is, like, when Varys later on in Season 2 gives Tyrion the parable about the, you know, you have a priest, a, a, a merchant, and a king, and there's a sellsword in the room, and they all try to tell the sellsword, who, you know, who to kill. Who does the sellsword listen to? And, you know, that's, like, the essentially where does the power reside? And I think both of these parables are supposed to say that, like, the power resides in the people. And I don't think it ma- I don't think it doesn't matter if a person's not well-liked. I think that if you're well-liked, it buys you up some breathing room for when things are bad. It gives you time to right the ship and, and get things back before the people start calling for your heads. Whereas right. if you're a vicious cunt of a ruler, the second things go bad, the people start rioting and throwing shit at you in the streets and stuff. So... It's not that it doesn't matter. It's just that if you're a terrible ruler, it's probably not going to get to the parts where it does matter. And also, if you're like if you're a guy like Stannis, which people tend to hate, I bet Stannis sits on the Iron Throne. The fucking realm works like clockwork. Okay. And like, yeah, people hate him and don't like him. But on the other hand, you know, there's food in King's Landing, and there's it's safe to walk around at night and. I don't have, uh, you know, thugs like the mountain running around and busting people, squeezing people's head and popping like melons. So I do think that that's the thing. It's like, you know, and it's what's funny is like, I think everyone's on a spectrum of where they believe, like, you know, how much a ruler being liked and respected and feared. And essentially all these people on all these different spectrums trying to argue about what's the one true, what's the one true answer. Sure. Um, you know, it's kind of like, the old Star Wars games where, like, you could be a good guy and then you choke a Jawa and now you're a dark Jedi. It's like, that's <laughs> okay. not really how it works. There's there's lots of gray areas between the light and the dark. Mm. Um, I want to talk about this. So this saddle design yep. launched so much tinfoil because there's this intriguing concept in the books about the dragon. You know, the, the dragon has three heads and there's, this, there's three dragons and you're presumably going to need three dragon riders, which... Is, is symmetrical in the same way that Aegon the Conqueror came over from Essos. He had three dragons. He had himself and his three sister wives. And he, each dragon needs a rider. People were like, oh, well, Tyrion can design a saddle so his little stumpy dwarfish legs can ride a dragon. Or, or Bran can warg, so he's going to warg into a dragon. And Daniel, mm-hmm. of course, will... I feel like this season dumped a little bit of cold water on that because it just seems like you just ride a dragon. You just jump up on him and ride. Yeah, Danny certainly can. I mean, maybe I Tyrion mean, needs this saddle yeah, design, yeah. but and maybe Bran can warg, but it, it does seem like there's not as much specialness about training and riding a dragon as I would have surmised from reading just the books to this point. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know. The only person I've seen ride a dragon is Danny, and Danny may have some magical connection between her and her dragon. So like it's not been established, but yeah, sure. Right, we've speculated about it. I I don't no, I think if Tyrion were to try to ride one, he would certainly need a saddle. And, right. and, you know, this saddle that he's designed already, 
is for Bren here is designed to kind of clamp onto the legs and keep the rider in position. Right. Which means he could do fucking backflips and barrel rolls all day on his dragon sure. and never go anywhere. Sure. I think I'm hoping. Still got my fingers crossed. Uh, another throwaway Tyrion line. He refers to Theon's uncles responsible for burning the fleet at Lannisport. Uh, in the books, Theon does have two uncles. He has Victarion and Euron. In the show, we only meet Euron. Yeah. Uh, but he does show up and uh, look like he's going to try to throw a monkey wrench in the whole Iron Island situation. Yeah. More he... on that later. Uh, Tyrion also seems to think that the Greyjoy house would be done with if. If Theon, you know, well, Balon, got his cock cut off, for instance. Cer- certainly Balon would be over. His house, his his ruling di- dynasty would be over. Yeah, I I just, like, wonder how much that's true. Like, t- certainly Tyrion understands that there's, I guess there's never been a female leader of the Iron Islands, but Yara right. isn't laughed out of the fucking room when she proposes it later on. Right. So, like, Tyrion would know that, like they might be accepting of a female leader, and that Balon yeah, has not, a daughter. And that, I was thinking, like, well, maybe the King's Moot doesn't happen until a Dance with Dragons, which is a book that didn't come out before this series season. But no, it's out in Feast. So that was in, that concept is introduced in Feast for Crows. So they would have had that knowledge, right? Yeah, I don't. But I, I there again, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the. I, I, I'm not sure. And because you could always write it off as this, you know, Tyrion doesn't know the finer points of. Uh, the rules of succession in the Iron Islands. Okay, let me try and tie something that I've long wondered in to this okay. question. Please do. Uh, so, let's say Yara does become the queen of the Iron Islands. Uh, or Asha, as she's named in the book. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and she gets married to someone. Okay. What What is her name? What would her name be? Asha or Yara? What? No, no, no. Last name. Uh, Does her name change? I think because so. here's the really fucked up thing that I've never understood. Okay. Why is Cersei's name still Cersei Lannister? Is it? Why does everyone refer to well, Cersei because, as Lannister? Because Robert dies so early in, in the thing. And... But she's certainly married and she's certainly con- uh, consummated that marriage. I mm-hmm. And there's no way that a king would not make his wife take his name. Well, I, right? I also like, thought that, like in the show, they've also been pretty brazen about really lining up the Joffrey and the and, and all the kids. Like you know, it's like you, I guess they oh, yeah. do have their ant- their, sure. their their crowns are all antlers, but like everything else about them is is lion. I mean, maybe she's just a Lannister by house reputation, and her actual name is Cersei Baratheon. But right. but nobody refers to her as that. Right. She, they always say Cersei Lannister every time they get every time they talk about her. Yeah, and but I never thing, like, understood early on that. in the series, like Ned in this season, Ned's going to write a letter that that Stannis is going to copy to the whole realm, accusing Cersei of being you know of all the children being product of incest between her and Jaime. So it could be a nod to the but you know I never really thought about it like why they she gets to essentially retain her maiden name. Yeah. I've, I've when, never understood when it. At you know, at worst, her being you know, uh, the, the, her children being products of incest is a an open secret amongst the the wealthy and powerful. Right, and I would think calling her Cersei Lannister at that point would almost be an insult. Mm. Like you're not a Baratheon because you haven't fathered children with yeah 
no, robber. I'd love, you... I'd love to know what other uh, book readers think about that because I haven't given a lot of thought about um, other than the fact that Robert. As soon as Robert died, it seems like the Lannisters essentially just moved in and took over. And, right, and and you know also Rinley. I mean, all the other Baratheons were in open rebellion against the, the 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 crown. So it's almost like they intentionally distanced themselves and really Lannistered it up. There was no longer Baratheon troops forming household guards, and it got very very uh, insular. Okay, uh, yeah. I, if anybody knows why she's still referred to as a Lannister, I would right. love to know. <laughs> Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. Uh, I also thought there was some interesting foreshadowing. You mentioned it in the podcast, but them talking about dragon glass, alluding right. to what we now know as faceless men. I even thought the pirate covered in gold was a reference to Salad or Sand, which is uh, Davos's old buddy that right. never really became a character in his own right in this show. No, he's a he... bit more of a character proper in the books, but then maybe they thought they were going to get that 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 way with him, but. Uh... It ended at the bathhouse, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and then we never heard or saw him again. No. Uh, but I thought that was a, a lot of, uh, you know, we don't get to see the faceless men until the climax of season two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and know what they are. And then, you know, do we ever really know the faceless men? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good a, question. Also a very good question. Another thing is shocking is Littlefinger looking, pointing out these urchins and saying it's Varys' birds because I felt like... The, us finding out the nature of Varys' birds was more of a reveal this last season. Yeah, apparently not. Which made me or think at least... that... Because I was looking at this in a new context, that this this is just Littlefinger bluffing. He's just right. essentially telling Ned what Ned kind of... And there's a little bit of feedback uh, alluding to this later. But yeah, like, did Littlefinger know? Or did he get it right? Was he lying and making up and, and, and got it right accidentally? I feel like Littlefinger would know. Mm. Like, I... I don't know how he couldn't know. Right. Honestly. Uh, there's mention of Thoros of Mir being kind of a badass here. We later know him as a drunk, and then we later know him as the guy who accidentally resurrected his friend, Beric. Uh, yep. But first mentioned here in episode four, Bronze first appearance. Yeah, not even named in nope. this. Not a significant player at all. Just steps up, I'll take your coin, uh-huh. uh, and you could have my room. That's uh, I really wanted to shout that out in the main podcast, but uh, not appropriate. Mm. Uh yeah, that's so, where I was going with all the the similar names. I was going to say Bron and Bran, and then I realized, sure. oh shit, they yeah, didn't name Bron. Uh, I also think so. Is this the moment that sparks the War of the Five Kings? Like, so if you, is this the the Archduke Ferdinand moment, where it's like, yeah, if you want to dig deeper, there's a lot of reasons why World War One happened, but this is that's kind of commonly cited as the sparking event, the thing that is most yeah. directly resu- responsible for the powder keg that was the pre pre-World War One Europe exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, is Catelyn Tully, Stark, <laughs> knee Tully, uh, <laughs> is, is her imprisoning of Tyrion the event that most sparks the War of the Five Kings? Because I do know that they make a direct connection between that and Tywin calling his banners and, and, and marching to war. Um, because he, before Ned even gets beheaded, he wants his fucking son back, because if he can't get his own son back, then what the hell is he as a Lannister? respect, yeah. And the Lannisters are nothing if not respected and feared. Right. So, what do you think? Is this, is Ned's beheading the actual Archford-Ferdinand moment? Is her taking... See, I don't remember exactly what leads to Ned's beheading, so I'm not sure. I know it's betrayal. Let's, know, it's by well, a, a couple of people. It's but, actually Joffrey being a dick. 
because he was supposed to be pardoned and, oh, and, that's right, and, yeah. and taken the black. And uh, Joffrey just calls an audible and has him beheaded. That's right. Shit. Uh, because it's very arguable. It's very ar- it, you know what? It's very arguable that if Ned takes the black, then they negotiate. And then Tyrion gets eventually found innocent of his trial, and that things kind of would have simmered down. So maybe, it makes seems maybe. like Ned's beheading yeah. is the ultimate. That's the last thing. That's the last straw before the realm erupts in a war. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's the most momentous event that but, happens. But in you never season. know because. At that point, Ned had already wrote to Stannis, who was going to raise his banners and ride against the Lannisters anyway. Hmm. Like, Robert dying, Robert getting gored by the boar, that's another one. Does Ned figure this out? Is that... What do you mean? Like, this, this whole oh, yeah. John Aaron oh, thing? Oh, yeah, Ned figures I can't this, even remember. Yeah, Ned figures it all out, and like an idiot, he goes and confronts Cersei rather than securing his own position. Right, okay. And, you know, he trusted Littlefinger, which was a bad call, There's too. your dumb Stark... Stark stuff coming into play. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like Ned fully trusts Littlefinger. Yeah, in this scene, like this even though he tells enough. him not to. Oh, you should have watched the wire. That was your no. biggest mistake. Uh, anything you want to talk about before we get to feedback? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, let's see feedback. So Reen R says the story Cersei tells Catelyn about the first baby is absolutely real. The whole point of the story is to show that the baby had black hair and is therefore Robert's child. The seed is strong illusion. All Cersei's other children have gold hair. In fact, uh, Cersei does admit that she loved Robert at first, but he whispered Lyanna's name in her ear on her wedding night. Maybe Cersei killed her first child out of spite. Maybe she's up there to kill Bran, but the black-haired baby was real. Um, Where? Okay. So here's the thing. There's no next evidence episode, Next episode, yeah. people reminded me that the Cersei and B- Robert had this wonderful scene where they kind of talk, and they're like, you know, this old married couple about... You know, how their marriage has held the realm together and they don't love each other. But Cersei specifically mentions to him that I still loved you even when we had that first child together. And he doesn't say, like, what are you talking about, woman? What's this child you're talking about that we died? So in the show, it's absolutely a fact that they had a child that died due to a fever or some details like that. And that Kat and Ned just were completely ignorant of that fact. Okay. Um. Again, that doesn't happen in books, but I had probably 24 people write in to remind me of that scene next week, which we'll talk about probably more when we get there. Yeah. I also want to head off this. I am not going to rehash the seed of strong bullshit again. Like, what will happen is people will argue science and they'll argue. You're talking about the hair colors? Yes. And they'll argue oh, genetics God. and they'll get Punnett squares out and then they'll talk about plot holes. And I'm. I, I don't care. I don't care. I went through all this five years ago, and if it's I not get it written that, down in the lineage of the great houses. I don't want to hear it. I, I'm just saying, like I don't because it's it's there's no way to really square it. I, I mean, the best way, the way I personally square it is I I think that Ned and John were right about the Lannisters, but for the wrong reason, like. It's okay. not. There is no genetics that says a black. If, if you have a black-haired man right. having sex with a blonde-haired woman, that you can't have three blonde kids. It's unlikely, sure, but it's possible. Okay, done. So no I don't rehashing. want. I'm. I'm not like you can write as much as you want. I'm not reading anything about the seed of strong shit. Okay, I'm not doing it. Not doing it. It's it. it it's a. If whether it's a plot hole, sign. I don't care. I don't care. It's a fact in this universe. That Ned did this investigation and led to this findings, and those findings were correct. So I'm just telling you people, I'm not getting into the Seed of Strong stuff. Okay. It already started happening this week. We haven't really gotten into it. So, 
Uh, Georgia T says, when Kat was talking to Rob's fiancee slash wife, Talisa, in season three about how she prayed John would die, then he got sick, so she prayed he'd get better, and that if he did, she'd be a good mother to him, but then, in the end, she couldn't bring herself to fulfill her obligation. I wonder whether she's angry at John and herself because she felt like she used all of her capital with the gods on getting John better, <laughs> and because she didn't keep up her end of the bargain, she's now powerless to help Bran. Hmm. In episode two, when John comes in to say goodbye, her anger at herself as well as John completely boils over. That's plausible. As she helped so many old ladies cross the street <laughs> in the years leading up, and she's just never going to bank that many the seven good guys. Deeds. Like, what, what did you do for me lately? Right, you made a promise. You went back on it. How are you to know? But this makes sense because Catelyn is, by all uh, by all appearances, very devout with this religion of the seven. So yeah. I could see her thinking that she betrayed the gods and they helped her and then she didn't keep up her end of the bargain. So now... Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. So good point there, Georgia. Uh, Angie K says in episode one, Jamie pushes Bran out of the window, leading to his destiny of being paraplegic and perhaps even his destiny of being the three-eyed raven. It seems Jamie did that because Bran caught him fucking his sister Cersei. But later on in episode 7, Cersei admits the truth to Ned Stark, and it does seem throughout the series that no one is really surprised to find out who that the kids are Jamie's. So why try to kill Bran? Or is it really some unknown information that is being revealed throughout season 1? What do you think, Jim? Because she, she's, she's essentially asking if, if Jamie and Cersei's kids being Robert Baratheon's kids in some cuckoo situation is essentially an open secret, then why bother killing Bran? I don't think it is an open secret. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess maybe they go a little bit over the line to me of it being an open secret later in the show. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's discussion. Like, Tywin mentions some stuff. That Lady he, Olenna kind of throws Olenna in the Olenna does. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff later on. But, but it seems point, to be among... That like, point, Ned had written the the Raven that he sent to Stannis. That Stannis then copied and sent throughout the whole realm. So at this point, uh, there, it, it okay. is a rumor and gossip. Gossip, right? Whereas they were trying to nip it in the bud, and I it think hadn't become that yet. This situation in, in episode seven, I think, is Ned t confronting Cersei, and Cersei already making plans behind the scenes to do Ned in. In fact, you know, two episodes later, he's being beheaded. So, and it's one of those things where she confirms it, or does she? do this kind of speaking in no i think she riddles, i think she sort of she does she really? essentially says okay. it and like you know my children what would you do if they're your children and and you ah, know okay but but she's counting on him being stupid ned stark and acting in completely honorable and straightforward ways and she's already worked out with Littlefinger and the gold cloaks to take everything over so she she's essential she would i think Honestly, Cersei doesn't want to kill Ned mm -hmm. because it's just another complication and she'd rather have him under her power and she'd rather appeal to him. But since she knows Ned Stark, she's already made all these plans that, that, then, that then spring on him like a trap. But yeah, I, like I said, I, I feel like if you really look at it in that context, yes, yeah, she admits the truth, but the rest of the realm knows because Ned told Stannis and then Stannis as part of his psychological operations sent ravens out to the whole realm okay. to try to get as many men to support him for his claim to the throne as possible. So, but that's my analysis. It could be wrong. Uh, rain B says it dawned on me during my 103 watch of episode 610, going back to last season. 
Could Euron be the Valon card that we're always talking about? Cersei needs a strong ally, and Euron has to know he's lost his chance at Danny. Could he make a pitch to the newly crowned queen and kill her while she thinks she's increasing her power? Thoughts? That... This is hmm. this actually made me sit up a little straighter in my chair because I could totally see this happening. Her marrying Euron and thinking she's getting some great deal and she's now got this powerful fleet and then him just choking her to death on their wedding nights and taking over everything. Right. He already killed his brother. He is a little <laughs> he is a little brother. That's sure. that's all you need to be to fulfill the Valonka. Now the other thing is like are they ever the, the big question is are they ever going to make the Valonqar a show official thing or is it something that right. at best we're going to see Cersei strangled by someone that fits the profile of Valonqar and like that's private a thrill that we book readers and spoiled fans will get but it's it's a nod to us it's not an outright fulfillment of something that happened in the books you're going to it's going to be she's getting choked out by Euron mm-hmm. she's about to die and then James Franco comes in with a with some golden teeth and is just like Valencar, Valencar. <laughs> yes, be spring be breakers exact, all over exactly again. Exactly like that. <laughs> I I would think it would be. I wouldn't think. I think the Valencar thing would be out of the question, except for I kind of writ off the whole prophecy of the Woods Witch until they just busted out a flashback out of nowhere. So they can always bust yeah. out those flashbacks out of nowhere. I guess at this point it would feel a little weird to bust out the same flashback with different dialogue. So I don't I'm not sure I I'm feeling that. Hmm. Would it? I want to make the oh, hmm. I think so. I mean I, but honestly bringing the king's mood back was a shock for me. Because that's something that's a deep cut way back from like the chronological and they just brought forward and and it worked surprisingly well like Yeah, but if they had like I don't know. I forget exactly where it cuts off with Cersei and the witch. I, th- I think they could talk a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of good analogy. Like if, if Euron had become king and they just, they cut it there. Well, I'm thinking like, what if, so Jamie and her are having a conversation early next season and she hears that Danny is sailing with Tyrion and like, she's just losing her shit about it. And Jamie's like, what the fuck? are you so worried about our little deformed brother about? And she drops, it's like, I never told you the whole story behind the prophecy. And she says, it wasn't just that my children are going to die, which they now have, but I was going, but, but this queen is going to bring me down and this Valonqar is going to be the one that does me in. And now this queen, this young, beautiful queen's coming over with the Valonqar. Like I could see, right. and you know, I'm not a yeah, great writer. So. The double D's and their whole stable of writers are excellent writers. I, don't want to underestimate what they can do fair enough but we'll see we'll see i don't think like we get through seven episodes next season and there's no valencar then i'm gonna say there's got to probably no valencar does it have to be the littlest brother no or could just, it just be I, any I brother who's means, younger than another sibling i think it literally means little brother like that's like that's like jamie is technically one because he was right. born seconds after yeah grasping Cersei. cersei's heel um, right. I don't think that's actually. I think I mean I'm conflating a biblical yeah. Esau Jacob thing with, but but it's kind of that same thing. He just came out to shoot right after her. Sure. Uh, Matthew L from Scotland said, "I've been a big fan of podcasts for the last two seasons. I've become so Game of Thrones obsessed over season six, rewatching every episode two or three times, and listening to all your podcasts. I finally decided to read the books. Hmm. I felt like it was a good point 
as the books would just enhance my knowledge without spoiling anything major, as I was already aware of me- many such plot points, such as the Lady Stoneheart, Grand Northern Conspiracy, etc., and I was so right. It is genuinely incredible c- coming to the books this way around. I know all the characters and locations and plot points. I'm able to appreciate the depth of writing, the character biases, plot nuances, and many nuggets of information that Germ puts in leading up to his big events that you know are coming uh, with this in mind, I wanted to allude to a conversation you were having on a podcast a few weeks ago about whether the fact the show is ahead will nullify George's books because you already know the events. And my answer has to be no way in hell. While I love the show, as it will always be where I started, the books really take everything to a whole other level, and just because you see what happens, you don't understand the emotion or motivation or aftermath properly until you see it written down. As hmm. someone who has always been a fan of character, plot, and intelligent writing over spectacle tits and dragons uh, i now am 10 times more excited for season seven the winds of winter and the hours of podcasting you guys are going to have debating differences and similarities between the two uh so i kind of feel like this guy uh, matthew from scotland is largely of the right of it because i came at it the same way i was I, th- I I know that I got through the first season completely not reading anything I think I read Game of Thrones between season one and two and then like I read uh, after season two I read like all the way up to like Feast and I agree with him like it helped me because I already knew all the characters and places and I just got a lot more lore a lot more of the mythology and a lot more of the the character and, and it's just you know there's just like so much more machinations and political intrigue and stuff like, yeah. as much as you like the political intrigue, like, it really takes a back seat in the show as compared to the books. And, like, huh. if you like Tyrion in season two, Tyrion is, like, so much more awesome in the books uh, in either Clash of Kings or Storm of Swords. I always get the two confused. Hmm. So, I agree. Like, I, I feel like that even if uh, even if everyone's completely satisfied with the show, that you're going to have still a lot of people wanting to read the books to get, you know, the, the ring their, their experience out you know there's gonna be right. some show fans that never read the books i'm sitting across the Maybe. table from one of them Pro- probably <laughs> i mean if i did i'd go audiobook but you know right. it's the same thing yeah yeah so you're gonna have but i think that you know like we said before certainly the vast majority of book readers are going to still finish it and i still think there's going to be a lot of people unless game of thrones just turns out to be complete shit mm-hmm. that are going to like want to extend their enjoyment of the series and go back and read the books as another way to experience it and even if it is shit, there's still going to be a lot of book, you know, a lot of show fans that want to see if the books are better or vice versa. So, yeah, I think I think uh, Matthew is on to something here. Okay, I, I largely agree. It's kind of it's kind of bolts on a medium change to my idea of not liking spoilers um, because you get two levels of enjoyment on two subsequent watches when right. you don't have them. Um, so, like, you know, you watch through the show the first time, you have no spoilers, and everything is amazing because you don't see the twists and turns coming. Right. Then the second time through, it is amazing because it's once again amazing because now you do see them. You yeah. see how it's all constructed. And with the books, I also think it's interesting that you get more details. Uh, things are a little different, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think e- either way you go, you know, yeah. reading books first and then watching the show or vice versa. It seems like the crucial thing is to always start with the lower resolution copy. Because if you read the oh, higher, okay, you know, it's like if you play the special edition version of the hmm, video game with upgraded graphics, no one's going to go back and play the shitty version. So, like Game of Thrones, like I think it's better if okay, you. Okay, maybe it doesn't work both ways. I, 
I, I guess I buy that There's argument. There's some books like I, I, The Godfather is a good example. I think The Godfather film is awesome, and you can read the books and and still appreciate how awesome it is. And they're like to me almost the closest I can think of like parody one to one. Like the experience mm-hmm. of reading The Godfather is as enjoyable as the experience of watching The Godfather, especially if you put The Godfather one and two together, like in the Saga edition. Um, yeah, but I guess yeah. you still get you still get differences, right? So mm-hmm. you are still surprised even if you read the higher resolution one first and but then go to the lower. I, I tend to think that like more fans fall in the trap of, well, it's not exactly, and, and they right. left the scene out, and this was my favorite scene. Yeah, so, if that's your mentality, that, that would be a bad experience. If, if you go from the low res where all that stuff is out, and then it's like, oh my god, this character I like, he's got this awesome badass scene, this is amazing, rather right. than like, where the fuck did this awesome scene go? Like, I didn't get my awesome scene, I got screwed. Okay, you know, it's like if I give you a dollar a week and then I give you two dollars a week, you're excited. If I give you two dollars a week and I catch back the dollar, you're fucking disappointed. Sure, whatever. Economics. <laughs> Stella, uh, I tried watching this new thing, or I tried this new thing this week where I prepared for class ahead of time by watching Bastard Cripples and Broken Things before your episode airs. This episode in particular got me thinking about something I love about Game of Thrones. Every character is a fully realized person whose experiences, obligations, or ethics are unique to them. And then the show lets them interact. This is the perspective I take as I watch and I write to you about a couple things that stood out to me. One, how the- Tyrion affects Theon. Now I know what's to come. This, now that I know what's to come, the scene between Tyrion and Theon in the courtyard strikes me as incredibly significant. Though Theon is super dismissive of Tyrion... Tyrion takes pains to remind him that he's not a real member of the Stark household, and I think that reminder affects Theon deeply. By the way, it's funny, I think we mentioned this in the podcast, but in season six, when Tyrion meets Theon, he Mm -hmm. acts like Theon was a giant douche to him at Winterfell. When in fact it was exactly the opposite. It's the exact opposite. Now maybe some stuff happened off camera, but I I think you were a little bruised talking to Rob and you took it out on poor Theon there Tyrion (laughs) yep Uh, now that the idea is clanging around his brain how could he not start to think he was just a tool wielded by his captors as Tyrion calls the Starks yeah in reality of the show Theon's safety depends on his value to his father as a male heir to continue the Greyjoy line he's essentially a genetic vault mortgaged to the Starks but he's forgotten that if that day came when his father didn't care about keeping him alive then he'd lose all value to the Starks and Tyrion's just reminded him that he can't know whether they'd still care about him as father didn't need taming. Tyrion reminds Theon that it's his father's care that keeps him alive, not the Starks, and reminds Theon how fragile his safety is by threatening to tell Balon that his son's loyalties have shifted. That gut punch of fear must have really been a reality check for Theon. I think this is a spark that starts Theon feeling that he has something to prove to his father and bitter yeah. towards the Starks. Could the guilt and bitterness spark from this conversation have paved the way for all his decisions from here on out? Absolutely. I think it started earlier than this. I think when he didn't get a direwolf, he was like, well, <laughs> fuck this. I'm out. I'm going to be a boat captain. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it's But no, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's yeah. a good point. And it's weird because they almost backtracked that a bit in season two where Theon seems like he's excited to be Rob's man and he's going to go and get his father to support him and it just doesn't. He wants it to be the one way and it's the other. Yeah. Uh, she continues, Littlefinger's dominoes. I'm also struck by the scene in the courtyard where Littlefinger gives Ned the lead about Sir Hugh. Future Vision Me sees the scene like this. Peter must have just learned that Ned found the genealogy book that would have put him on the hot trail of the Baratheon Lannister kids' parentage, one of Littlefinger's platinum-level secrets. 
I think he found himself in danger of losing that secret's power if Ned barreled through like the bull that he is. I think Littlefinger then gives Ned the tip about Sir Hugh to distract him long enough for Littlefinger to get his ducks in a row lined up against him. At the same time, Littlefinger puts on that shadow play to cast innocent kids and gardeners as nefarious spies, tickling all of Ned's paranoia censors and prejudices against Southerners. I think we'll soon see that Littlefinger manipulated Ned into uncovering the secret, but then keeping it close to his chest, essentially making Ned a ticking time bomb delayed just long enough to let Littlefinger get his alliances straight at the Lannisters. Then, he waits for Ned to blow, which he invariably does. I think this is what Peter means when he says he climbs the ladder of chaos. He knows enough secrets that he can operate from a bird's eye view, so see more of the world, like this thing with Ned, that are games to be played. He can also see chaos as a ladder to climb because he's removed from the consequences of that chaos. He's essentially above it right now. Happily, as viewers who know the future, we kind of are too, and we can see patterns only Littlefinger could see, now that we know what Littlefinger knew then. Okay, the problem is I don't know what Littlefinger knew then. So, refresh my memory if you can. Uh, How the fuck does this book lead back to the true parentage of Cersei's children? Because it's not like in the margin notes it's going to be like Robert begat Tommen. Nuh-uh. I know the real secret. But part of the begat was... A uh, child had blonde hair and blue eyes. Like that was part of that. They they he read enough of it that you knew that every single one was that this person born. So it's all on the back of the seed of strong. It's all on the back of the seed of okay. strong shit, which I am not going to fucking talk about. Right. Okay. I remind you. That, okay. That <laughs> clears it up without actually clearing it up. But it clears it up in terms of the fiction. What she's supposing, which I don't know, we have clear evidence, but it makes sense, is that Tyrion, Stella's asserting that Tyrion, no, I'm sorry, not Tyrion, Littlefinger knew about right. the, the true lineage of the Baratheon land, which makes sense. And he pointed honestly. Ned down the road for him. Him and yeah. Varys both, like, if they don't know it, they're fucking fools. Sure. So. Uh, and he then uses Ned's exposure to that secret to, to, to plot his next run yeah, up like, the Chaos Ladder. Uh, Jamie and, and Cersei are probably fucking all over King's Landing. Like, every tower is just full of Jamie's semen. It's like... Yeah. They're, they're doing it everywhere, every which way in King's Landing. It's also funny his, that... His birds are going to notice. It's also funny that, that uh, King Robert... We didn't mention this in the podcast, I don't think, but uh, that he likes to whore it up when Jamie's guarding just right. as a rub in his face, his sister's dishonor, but then yeah. Jamie's got the last laugh because, you know, he's sure. gonna go nail Cersei after this post and Robert's gonna be passed out from his whoring. Right. So uh she also has a couple of observations. Jamie is such a professional. Whenever he talks about battle of the King's Guard, he honors the profession of knighthood. He's respectful of both of the allies and his enemies, speaks deliberately and gently about warfare and death and focuses on the events of the battle rather than the gory details. You contrast with this with Robert Baratheon, who's interested only in the blood and guts, not valor or honor. I, yeah, and that's the tragedy about Jamie is that you can see a world in which he turns out completely differently than he did. And yeah. a world in which his sacrifice by killing the king is honored instead of reviled. He doesn't know, fall in love with his sister. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's another tragic thing. Like, you know, he didn't he didn't choose to f- fall in love with her. Sure. I'm assuming. <laughs> I mean, you I, can I go right? with the whole like, like if a person makes people don't choose things that are against their best interest. You know. Like it's like that's the thing like when people okay. said gay, being gay is a choice and all that. It's like, well, why would you choose to be that way? 
if you're going to be reviled by the population around you? Why would you choose to love your sister unless you legitimately did? Like matters right. of the heart. You don't you don't get to make choices about. So yeah, I you know, but then again, this is the guy's pushing kids out windows to protect that secret. So that's choice. Uh, she says, Littlefinger tells Sansa the secret about the Hound's face, both to distract her from the horror of the jousting field and to forge a shared secret between them. Is this his first move in his game with Sansa? Yuck. It, I guess so, yeah. Watching this, I'm did like, ooh, this is feeling like grooming. Yeah. I feel like he's grooming her for, you know, this is a secret that only you and I can tell and don't tell anybody or, you know, don't tell that I touched yeah. your butt. Don't tell your mom uh, that yeah. I touched your butt or you'll it's- be in so much trouble feels real gross yeah i and the thing is i had no idea this was going on when i first was watching this you know right jesus fucking creep uh little finger got liza to knight sir hugh in exchange for his poisoning of john aaron right, right. yeah seems 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 to line up That's what i assume and then liza and little finger made sure sir hugh had the faulty quote-unquote new armor so that the mountain could get his lance into the weak spot to take out sir hugh the loose end right that's the plot we know about so far yeah it seems like that is all engineered by Littlefinger, which I always took it as, as I think it's season four, maybe it's season five, where he kind of gives his uh, the, he t- he takes Sansa aside and like shows him the, shows her the grandeur of his plan and like ah who do you think killed John Aaron and who do you think did this and who I always thought is that, that was after ca- the poisoning of Joffrey it like, is right when they're on the boat I think it's when they're okay. on the boat yeah. going to the Littlefinger the the littlest of fingers um. I, I always felt that was kind of like new information, but it does seem like this is all laid out in front of us. Yeah, it's a lot more plain the second time around. Yeah. Pretty easy to see. Yeah, I mean, some of this could just be seen... The first time around, I was just... I was swimming in You're like... trying to get the names. Who the fuck are yeah. these people? Where the hell are they? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> this, the second time around, I know all the characters, all the important ones anyway, uh, and so I can watch the actual movement of everything yeah pieces it's pretty cool it yeah. seems like it tracks pretty clean other than some details about cat and ned not knowing about royal babies being born and killed but and you know what are you gonna lineage do lineage markers and all kinds of yeah sure uh so that's this that's the episode for the week we'll okay. be back next week for more full coverage but until then send in your feedback at game of thrones at baldmove.com and also you can discuss it on the forums at forums.baldmove.com sounds good see you guys next week Bye-bye.